Hello and welcome back to Real Big Mistakes, where we uh, assess and reassess the critics' consensus on movies and determine if they are better than their reputation suggests. I'm Jason Konigsberg of PanandSlam.com. And I am Rich Tola. All right, and I picked the movie this week, so I'll talk a little bit about it. And I picked, because uh, last week we did Short Circuit, which was one of the top 20 highest grossing movies of 1986. And I went one further and decided to do the highest grossing movie of 1986, Top Gun. The movie that made Tom Cruise the international megastar uh, that he's pretty much been for the last 35 years or so. He's never really fallen too far from, you know, having huge uh, superstar status in Hollywood. Uh, so Top Gun, big movie from my childhood, from growing up in the 80s, and I watched it a lot, you know, in the 90s. Uh, Rich, what are your memories of Top Gun or things like that? Um, I, I don't know the last time that I've seen it all the way through prior to this. In fact, it, maybe never, um, but... wow. Maybe, but I've seen it all. Maybe mm -hmm. not all at one time, but I know I've seen it all. And and in fact, nothing, except for the very last scene of the movie, nothing that I saw when I rewatched this um, was like, oh, I don't remember that. Like, I vaguely remembered all of it, <clears throat> um, except for that very last scene. Um, I vaguely remembered all of it and, and just different pieces. So I don't know if I've ever actually watched it all the way through, or maybe it was only on cable. So I watched like bits and pieces of it here and there. And they had commercials in between or something. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, my mom loves this movie. Mm. Um, loves it so that's really how i know it i don't remember if my older brothers were too into it maybe my you know, the younger of the two older brothers might have been but I, I don't think my oldest brother was ever into this uh, but I, it's not something that um i i watched very often but i know mm -hmm. my mom my mom was a big fan of it I, I do remember that that sticks out to me when you said that we were going to watch top gun this week the first thing i thought of was like oh my mom loves that movie like that oh interesting movie. okay yeah. all right Okay. So that's really all it is to me. Also, um, I remember having the Top Gun video uh, Super Nintendo game. Actually, I didn't have it. My neighbor had it. Mm. Uh, did you ever play that? The Nintendo. I Top did Gun not. Game? No, I I did not. Did you uh, ever play even that. hear of it? I don't think so. I remember Afterburner, which was kind of like a you know pilot flying game in the arcade. I remember playing that a lot in my you know elementary mm. school days. Uh, but actually, uh, the Top Gun. Video game for, I assume, regular Nintendo, not Super Correct. Nintendo. Okay, yeah. No, I don't think I ever played that or know anyone who had that game. Yeah, it was basically a flight simulator game. It had nothing to do with the movie other than mm. you were in a plane. <laughs> okay. Um, but, um, yeah, so it was a flight simulator game. The only thing I remember about it is I never got past the first level because you could not land that plane on an aircraft carrier. Like, it was the hardest Thing. And every mission you had, like you, taking off was easy and flying it was easy. You had to like shoot down other planes, but you had to land it on the aircraft carrier when you were done your mission. Mm. I could not land that plane. <laughs> and this was the days before YouTube and all these cheap, well, you yeah, know, books. They that, they yeah. might have had like cheap books out there that you could take out from the public library. Uh, but this was way before the internet, so you couldn't find you know clues on how to beat that level. So if you couldn't do it, <laughs> you, you probably just couldn't. I, do I it. think I remember I frustrating mean, games like that. 
I don't even think there are clues. I, it's just really hard to do mm. it, especially for a young kid. I think mm. it was just it was just tough to do. And you got so excited. He's like, "Oh, Top Gun! You know, this is gonna be fun. We're gonna mm-hmm. fly around with a jet and shoot mm-hmm. things, which you do." Um, and then it's like, "Oh, and now I have to land the plane on the aircraft carrier, and it's the hardest thing in the world." Okay. Um. So yeah, it was it was a okay. it was an upsetting video game. Okay. Yeah, I remember games like that, but and there was a okay. One. Do you remember there was an old? I think this was actually a computer game. And not a Nintendo game. Do you remember an old Rambo game? I remember uh, playing a Rambo no. game where he walked. You had to like uh, move him around. It was definitely a computer game because you had to use the keyboard to like you know different letters controlled which position he turned and walked and uh, things like that. And it was so hard because guys would be shooting at you and Rambo just had a knife and he would like you'd have to turn real slow and go. Every time he stabbed, it made like a little sound. And I remember being so angry and frustrated with that Rambo uh, computer game. I know exactly what you're talking about because I had that game for Sega. Okay. It was was Rambo 3. Okay. All right. Um, I'm pretty sure that my friend had it on a computer uh, when I was a kid. And it was like the most frustrating game because I was like, oh, Rambo, awesome, cool. And I couldn't get, could uh, could not get past the first round. Was it it a Commodore 64 computer? Oh, God, I don't remember. That I don't know. I'm too young to, yeah, maybe. I'm I'm too young to remember. I remember the friend. I remember the other games that we played. uh, But that one was was a little bit too much. Uh, That was, if I had to pick my most frustrating, Frustrated, frustrating video game experience from my childhood. It was probably that Rambo game because it was just like, what was the point? We couldn't get farther. We couldn't play longer than fifteen minutes. Okay, there's and, a, there, yeah. and there's a lot of games like that. Yeah, um, I, I and and but Top Gun was definitely one of the more frustrating. Ones. Okay. So other than my mom loving it, I've seen it. And um, the video game that that's, okay, you know that was your that's your extent of your childhood yeah. memories about that. Okay, I okay reverse parent. My dad really liked this movie. Uh, it had a lot of action, a lot of flying, a lot of you know stuff like that. So I I think he liked it as a kid, and we had. I believe he taped it off HBO, and so we had it on VHS in that format, and I watched it. Over the years, and it was on HBO a lot. And like, like you said, even if you haven't seen this movie in years, I feel like there's so many moments of this movie that have been spoofed or parodied or repeated, or you just see clips and they repeat it. You know, on on just so many things. You know, then I feel the need for speed, the singing in the bar, the just just so many moments that have just sort of become etched in our cultural psyche that it's kind of even if you haven't seen this you probably are familiar with a lot of the song the music videos or several songs from the soundtrack on this movie they're just sort of etched in your brain so i think it's it had a big cultural impact starting in 1986 and i mean like you mentioned last week when we did short circuit the sequel is uh Coming out, it was supposed to come out last year. It's supposed to come out this year now. Uh, obviously, uh, COVID nineteen uh, sl- delayed it, but um, yeah, so it's still somewhat relevant or trying to be a relevant, you know, part of American pop culture right now. And I think what's interesting about this, we're doing two movies back to back from 1986. We don't have to go through the usual rigmarole of what won best picture, what were some big movies, what were some, we can kind of, you know, just get into the movie, but there's so much in this movie that I want to discuss. I'm not sure like what you want to discuss. So there's a lot 
of, I mean, just the, the cast alone, even without Tom Cruise, this has a huge cast of 80s mainstays and actors that were, you know, would become superstars or were, you know, famous prior right. to this. So there's so much going on with it. We've never talked about producers before. I definitely plan on talking about the producers of this movie at some point well, in the podcast because yeah, they're they're very important. Yes. So all right. um, so all right. Let's let's go back r- just for a quick second. You right. you mentioned a lot of like spoofs. Do you do any like um, does anything stick out in your head? Well, the the obvious one, of course, is Hot Shots. Right. I was going to say Hot Shots, I think, should be briefly discussed. Um, okay, yeah. <laughs> great great movie. I mean, I don't remember much of it, but I know I, I remember it being, you know, very close spoof. I, I, I remember certain scenes, you know, stars uh, Charlie Sheen instead yeah. of Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Um but um, yeah, I, I thought that was a funny movie when, as a kid. I, I can't tell you the last time I saw it, so if I don't know if I'd laugh at it today as an adult. But yeah. I remember liking that as a kid. What about you? Did you remember I, liking that? I, I did like it, and I feel like I've seen it more recently in my adult life. That and Part Two, uh, the second one. I think the first one is better than the second, but I liked them both as a kid. Uh, yeah, and they're clearly uh, we've talked about some of the Zucker Abraham Zucker movies. We've talked about Top Secret. I know that we've mentioned Naked Gun. We've mentioned uh airplane on this podcast it's a few steps down below those three movies in my opinion it's not those three you could say if you were doing a list of the funniest movies of all time those three should be considered whether we're doing top 50 or top 100 those three you know airplane top secret and naked gun deserve consideration um hot shots does not but it's still a good movie it's still, still fun. a good good yeah. funny movie um, yeah mindless you're right not as not in the same tier as those first three but correct uh, yeah. still they were still enjoyable and I, I remember as a kid liking them um anything else any other spoofs or anything that you I mean family guy has spoofed a lot that, of it that's, uh, that's <laughs> the other that's the one I that comes to mind for me when Peter has a, a truck or something and he he drops Quagmire off at work, who is a pilot, and then he yep. sees the the jet fight, you know, the, the, <laughs> the fuel truck uh, fueling up the jet, and he starts imagining himself fueling his truck with with the jet fuel and flying around. And they play that guitar Top Gun theme, dude. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they they do and, that whole and thing. He gives yeah. he like, flies over and takes the the Polaroid, which we'll talk about. <laughs> yep. later. just um, siphoning jet fuel. He thinks is going to make his <laughs> his his car fly. <laughs> and 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 he goes, well, that's all the motivation I need. <laughs> yep, <laughs> something that's very good. Yeah, that's the exact quote. I forgot um, about that yeah. quote at the end, which is very funny. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that, that would be that, up there. That one comes to mind. There's also a moment. It's one of the cutaways. I feel like you know the Family Guy's cutaways can be hit or miss, but I, for me, especially regardless, they're more hit. Uh, there was a great one. Something about Tom Cruise. This is going to take over your life, like Scientology took over Tom Cruise, and it shows it's spoofing him and Anthony Edwards, Go- Maverick and Goose are walking. I feel the need for. For speed, and then Tom Cruise goes, and Scientology, and then Anthony Edwards go, no, just speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so there was something yeah. like that. Yeah, there was. <laughs> no, just I, speed. <laughs> no, just speed. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's just uh, there's, but there's so many. I'm sure there's commercials that I can't even that I've forgotten about where they've spoofed oh, I'm sure, it. I'm yeah. sure there's, you know, and I feel like the Danger Zone and uh, uh, Berlin Take My Breath Away music videos were pretty prevalent on MTV or when we got older in the 90s I feel like they were 
if they were doing like a uh, VH1 classic or they would be, they, I feel like VH1 showed older videos. And so I probably saw those videos a lot. Uh, if I, if VH1 was on and not MTV when, when I got a little bit older, but, uh, and, and the danger zone song and video, I, that was just a pump you up kind of song that I, I remember loving as a kid. So, um, so I, I had, um, Kristen had some friends over today and, um, we had uh, music playing outside. I played an 80s station and Highway to the Danger Zone came on, and I was like, oh, this is ironic. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Now, did, did any of her friends like this movie? Because we're a little bit older, so I'm like... I, I didn't talk about it with them. Oh, okay. Um, I, I, Kristen had never, has never seen it. Um, okay. She didn't feel like staying up to watch it with me last night, so she didn't see it this time either. Do you think um, she would like it? Because I feel yes, like this movie I, I could go either would. way. Okay, yeah, yeah all right. I, I think she would enjoy it. I don't think she would hate it. How much she would like it, you, know, you never know, but okay. um, I, I don't think she would hate it. it. It would be a movie she'd be able to watch and, okay. and probably enjoy. Yeah, I mean, I from looking and reading the criticisms, I understand the criticisms, and I think mm. the criticisms are valid, but... I still think this this is a movie that I could understand why people don't like, but I could also understand why people love. So, and I'm kind of in the middle. I don't love it. I like it. I feel like I liked it maybe more as a child, but I still think there's enough good regardless of, you know, just this movie doesn't just coast on nostalgia. Okay? Like maybe King Ralph possibly did okay i think this is this movie has enough that i will legitimately defend it more so i'll defend king ralph as well the way you'll defend uh short circuit uh but to me this movie i think has a lot going for it and i think this is the second movie that we've done on this podcast that is an academy award-winning movie Yes, I was going to mention that for best song, right? Best song, Berlin won for Take My Breath Away. And I don't think Danger Zone was nominated, but it certainly could have been. Uh, Yeah, the soundtrack was a big... 80s soundtracks, you know, and 80s theme songs were really big for... um, it, It was a platinum soundtrack. Okay, yeah, they were they were big at the time because I mean the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack was huge, Ghostbusters soundtrack was huge. So yeah. this was the time where you know whether it was you know, rated R like Beverly Hills Cop or PG or whatever, they always had like a big soundtrack, big theme song, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So this was yeah, and this soundtrack was one of the biggest ones uh, of its era. Uh, yeah, definitely the soundtrack was huge, and it it. it propels the movie i mean yeah. the two songs that are played or well, three songs really played throughout the movie are danger zone um take my breath away and then the top gun theme i think it's mm-hmm. called but it's that it's a great it's a great theme it's a great yeah it's and it's yeah, from it harold faltermeyer the computer the composer also mm-hmm. had a big hit with the he did axel uh F the theme <laughs> from F, yeah. yes the theme for which was also like a hit on the radio you know more so than this uh, for uh, from Beverly Hills Cop so he did that yeah. theme he did the scores he was a big in demand eighties composer at the time and uh, when we keep talking I'm sure I'm going to mention Beverly Hills Cop a few more times because there's a lot of connections between that movie and this movie as well yeah so all right well yeah, like you said we don't really need to talk about 1986 the year in movies because we did that with the short circuit episode. yeah if you want to hear that go back and listen to the first fifteen twenty minutes of last week's episode to know what movies what big movies there were in 1986 besides and, top gun yeah yeah so i mean we'll just mention uh, platoon won the best picture that year right. 
Um, I always think of when I hear Platoon. I always think of there. There's a scene in Naked Gun. Yes, I like thought you mon- were going to say that. <laughs> it, it's like a montage of like them going. You know, um, Leslie Nielsen and who is that? Jamie Presley. Right? Priscilla. Priscilla Presley. Priscilla yeah. Presley. Yes. His wife. Yeah. Um, yeah. It shows them. Um, yeah, I don't know why I said Jamie. No, sorry. That was well, that was... Uh, <laughs> oh, Jamie Presley's someone else. She's not related yeah, to yeah, Elvis Presley. Else, yeah. yeah, she's... Um, yeah. yeah, Priscilla Presley. Um, they're, they're you know, going on a date or, you know, like, falling in love. It's like Multiple dates. It's a long yeah. montage of them doing all these silly things and they're just happy and laughing and they're yeah, spraying so condiments yeah. um, uh, ketchup and mustard on ketchup each other and, mustard, and yeah. on the hot dog vendor <laughs> yeah and then and then they they see them you they show them walking out of a movie theater like laughing and like having the time <laughs> of their lives and then it zooms out to show that they just saw platoon which is you know one of the most horrific movies <laughs> not a movie that you're going to be laughing when you walk out of the theater no matter what no, but that was that's one of the many moments that made that funny and that whole movie yeah funny. so yeah. I, I thought that's what i always think of when i see platoon um, okay but anyway yeah so um all right so we'll skip that part um like you said you can go back and listen to that in the last episode if you really want to hear it mm-hmm. but let's get let's talk about the cast of this movie and then we'll talk about the director and the producers and what um, a cast this had so uh, when i saw this cast i thought what a what a complete 180 from short circuit where short circuit was all big names at the time mm-hmm. in 1986 but by 1990 you couldn't find them in a movie let alone headline a movie headline correct movie, right? correct yeah, um, yeah whereas this cast I mean, everybody, almost everybody, uh, yeah. went on to bigger and better things. Except, right. I mean, Tom Cruise stayed at the top, and everyone else just went on to great things. So it's a lot of uh, it's it's a big up and coming cast for the most part. I mean, yeah. not everybody, but for a few a other established uh, veteran actors in there. A few, but for the most part, I mean, when we when we go through the cast, there's some names here that are just you know like yeah, wow, well, like I, I, the, yeah. I'll go through them now. So Tom Cruise plays uh, Which, Maverick, yeah. uh, Pete Maverick Mitchell. Uh, Kelly McGillis plays uh, Charlotte Charlie Blackwood. Anthony Edwards plays Lieutenant Nick Goose Bradshaw. Val Kilmer plays Tom Iceman Kazansky. Uh, Tom Skerritt plays uh, Commander Mike Viper Metcalf. Michael Ironside plays uh, Commander Rick Jester Heatherly. Um, John Stockwell plays Cougar, Barry Tubb plays Wolfman, Rick Rosovich plays Slider, Tim Robbins plays uh, Merlin, Um, there's a couple others, Uh, Meg Ryan has a brief role as Goose's wife, Um, so that's the cast, other than, you know, so a lot of, like I said, a lot of up-and-comers, the only one out of the main stars, Kelly McGillis, was she ever in anything after this that was well, noteworthy? I was gonna. I wanted to mention Kelly McGillis. Uh, we'll go through the whole cast, and then we could talk like yeah. Tom Cruise's career. I think uh, we could get, when we get to talking about Tom Cruise, or I, I want to talk a little bit about Tom Cruise. St- let's well, let's start with Tom Cruise. We'll start at the top. We'll start with Tom Cruise because I think Tom Cruise has one of the most interesting careers in Hollywood history. I think. I, I mean, okay, I think that from 1983, when he made Risky Business, which was sort of his first big leading role, that was the first time people were like, okay, Tom Cruise is a movie star. And then three years later, uh, Top Gun came out, and he became, he joined like Schwarzenegger, Stallone, he became one of the biggest movie stars on the planet. And he sort of, 
always has stayed that way. He's always, when you watch, if you watch old Saved by the Bell episodes, they reference Tom Cruise. He was a big star in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, children today probably still know Tom Cruise. So that's, you know, telling, whereas if they were to reference, oh, I don't know, uh, you know, someone else from that time, I, I don't know, Christian Slater, for example, I'm thinking of Clueless, where they're like, we can see the new Christian Slater movie. Yeah. He was a big deal in 1995 when that came out. Uh, five years later, I don't think, you know, teenage girls were, you know, really knew his name too much. Uh, so Tom Cruise has one of the most interesting careers, and I'm going to make a bold statement, and I'm going to say, between 1983 to 2004, 21 years, Tom Cruise never made a bad movie. Oh, uh, maybe one, maybe bold. two, maybe there's a few maybe that I didn't see. But I'm going to say, Tom Cruise, okay, look at his resume. Look at his filmography on IMDb. He, as a rising star, you know, he started off like that. He became a big box office draw. But look at all the directors he worked with. He worked with some of the most legendary directors of all time in that span. And for all they worked, all the people he worked with, he was always still trying to deliver raw, emotional performances. And I think Tom Cruise brought such a great intensity to all of his performances during that period. And you can sort of pinpoint, we've talked about times where you could pinpoint an actor's career or a director's career when it all started to, you know, spiral downward. I feel like 2004, his last great movie, I would say, was Collateral. And then it started to change. So he, when he, you look at everything he did in the 80s and 90s and the early 2000s, challenging himself, working with great directors, taking risks. He could have been, you know, I'm just the pretty boy. I'm, he could have gone the Matthew McConaughey route or the Will Smith route and just signed on for what's going to make me the most money, what's going to be the biggest paycheck, what's going to be the biggest hit and the biggest residuals. He could have done that, but he didn't. Okay, he just look at he worked with Scorsese on Color of Money, Spielberg on Minority Report, and then later on with War of the Worlds, which I don't consider a good movie, but that's a different. We could be going to talk about that later. Coppola on The Outsiders, one of his first movies. Um, Oliver Stone, which I think he gave his best performance in uh, Born on the Fourth of July, uh, and of, without a doubt, I mean Kubrick. He worked with Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick sought him out. They worked together for two and a half, three years on Eyes Wide Shut. How many people can say they did that? Okay, so Kubrick wanted him. Two and a half to three years. It took, he had, this is, if we talk more about his career, from 1996 till about late 1998, early 1999, yes, that movie took, and he had a special contract where he couldn't do anything else during that time. He, him, and Nicole Kidman were in England, and uh, they were just, they only working with Kubrick. It was, they were working very close. He got an ulcer from working on Eyes Wide Shut. It was, you know, a, a very grueling, difficult thing. And I'm sure, you know, it brought him and his wife closer. And it also brought him, which we could talk about his Scientology thing later on, I'm sure. It's worth, because I think that had a direct impact on his career. His, you know, and the, you look at the decisions he made and the career, the roles he took after 2004, after working with Michael Mann, another great director on Collateral, and giving another very different kind of raw, emotional cold assassin performance okay which was not like a lot of other performances he gave prior you can see where 
his uh, the obsession with Scientology and his divorce from Nicole Kidman started to take over and started to and and you look at his career after from 2005 on starting with War of the Worlds then Mission Impossible 3 and then now he does what a Mission Impossible movie every other year pretty much it seems okay which they're good too for the most part it started to change and he became more obsessed with Scientology and it reflected his movie choices doing sci-fi, doing Mission Impossible, only doing action movies and trying to be nothing but the super awesome, young-looking, cool dude who saves the day and he looks great all the time doing it. The lone exception to everything I'm saying is Tropic Thunder. Okay. I was going to say, I liked him in Tropic Thunder. He deserved an Oscar nomination over Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. He was hilarious. It was unexpected. It was not catering to his ego in any way, putting on the fat suit and the fake hair on his arms and everything. Okay. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive what he was able to accomplish, you know, prior to that. Then something happened. Well, Valkyrie yeah, also, Valkyrie doesn't really fit that. Oh, I think it does 100%. Oh, I didn't see it, but I was just... Here's why I'm going to say that. Okay, 2005 was the jumping on the couch incident with uh, Katie Holmes on Oprah, and everyone remembers that, and that sort of has been a black eye on his career for a stupid reason. But then he sort of became a PR nightmare for the next, I don't know, three months, saying he all about Scientology, saying how he's an expert on postpartum depression, having some sort of ridiculous public feud with Brooke Shields... I don't know exactly what that was, going against medication, saying not to take psychiatric medication or things like that because he's an expert on things. Okay, like It was like, what is he doing? He was a nightmare. So I think Valkyrie was just a response to his stock was plummeting in Hollywood at that time. And who better to sort of, you know, get people behind you than playing a role where you're trying to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Okay, so to me, that was just career... uh, uh, Rep, you know, trying to repair his image, that movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's my opinion. And it seems like ever since then, with all the Mission Impossibles, and they've been good. I think the Mission Impossible series, for the most part, may be one of the most consistently entertaining and effective movie series, action movie series that's still running. And it's probably so underrated with how thrilling some of those movies and actions and stunts are. And it's just... It's very odd that Tom Cruise, who was such a rising star and who took such big risks and made such great movies and worked with such great directors, I mean, you name a movie between 1983 and 2004, and chances are the director who's attached with it is a name that you'll be like, oh my God, I, you know, what a great director. Um, so, like, I'm thinking Sidney Pollack, Neil Jordan, uh, Brian De Palma, so many great directors he associated himself with. And then you look at the directors he started work to working with post collateral 2005 to i mean 2005 was war of the worlds with spielberg okay whatever and he was still he went from being a deadbeat dad to super bad super dad in 90 minutes which i thought was a little <laughs> ridiculous well, whatever say what you want about it i'm not a fan of that movie but i i don't want to digress too much but i really think that you know his, you look at his choices and the last 15 years of his career you could categorize tom cruise has become the north american version of jackie chan an aging, an aging action star who's does his own stunts. That used to be Jackie Chan's big selling point: the only action star who does his own stunts. And you'd, you'd always see in the you know in the credits they would show the outtakes, and he'd be doing his stunts and messing up and getting hurt and all that stuff. Um, yeah. 
it's really Tom Cruise does. He hangs on a plane. He breaks his leg. And that's why uh, Mission Impossible 6 or 7, whichever one's the latest one, didn't come out when it was supposed to come out. So uh, that's why we have stunt doubles. So they can, so the stars don't get hurt and stop production for months at a time. Right. Exactly. Um, but that's, yeah. It's, it's selfish in a way. Exactly. I think, but that's what Tom Cruise is such an adrenaline junkie. And that's what he's become. That's his reputation now. So he went from born on the 4th of July Eyes Wide Shut with Kubrick, uh, I mean, all these great, raw, intense, emotional performances to Jackie Chan, okay, to a, 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 a Caucasian Jackie Chan. That's my yeah. take on Tom Cruise. I think it's 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 a very bizarre. It, sh- it sort of should be reversed, where he should have been an action star. Like look at Clint Eastwood's filmography. Okay, he started off. He was just a western, dirty Harry action right. star, and then it's like, oh my god, you know. You look at things like Million Dollar Baby. You look at Gran Torino. You look at, I mean, even Unforgiven. You know, More dramatic like, role. Yeah, exactly. Okay, you know, he evolved. Okay, Tom Cruise is sort of just obsessed with being young and being the hero and De- looking awesome. Evolving. Exactly. So that's my take on Tom Cruise. I think it's one of the most interesting careers, and I, I do like well, still, his output he, more than dislike. But yeah, and it's it, you know his career is obviously nowhere near over. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes on. You know, you can't be that young action star or want to be young. Action he's star trying. Star. <laughs> we he saw Harrison trying. Ford with Indiana Jones uh, four, so he's he's certainly trying. Um, That's true. Well, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. No, yeah. Schwarzenegger and Stallone were still trying or are still trying. I mean, they haven't thrown in the towel yet, I don't think. But, uh, you know, uh, Tom well, Cruise. They don't, have, they don't have much else to fall back on. You know, Correct. Watch, Tom Cruise. You know, yeah, correct. Yeah. You're not, you're not going to watch Arnold Schwarzenegger in a, you know, a dramatic movie too often. Correct. Um, even, so though, even though he's. He may have, and Stallone certainly proved with Rocky, and then yeah. you're decades later with Creed that he can he can really handle great dramatic scenes. Um, but I, I do think that Tom Cruise, he, he could have a good, he's pushing 60, he could have 20 more years of, you know, great, intense, emotional performances. I'm just curious if they're all going to be Mission Impossible sequels or not, or every other one's going to be a Mission Impossible sequel. Because he, he still looks like he's about 30. I mean, let's yeah, face he, it. If he, he, yeah, he could he play 30 if he had to. Okay, so, yeah. He still, yeah, he still looks young. He's in good shape. Uh, he's only He only has 51 credits to his name, which is, like you said, that's part of the reason why he was so successful, because he only chose movies that were good and the reason yeah. he was able to do that is because of Top Gun I mean let's be honest I, yeah so that's opened the gateways for him where Oliver Stone Martin Scorsese uh, all these other directors started putting him in their films and then he became such a big name I know he hired Brian De Palma to direct him in the first Mission Impossible and he was the producer of that so he had a lot of say and they butted heads and they fought over the script a lot and Brian De Palma has sort of said well you know I didn't really direct much of that movie but I still made a lot of money from it so i'm happy okay if you watch the de palma documentary he says that he's like yeah you know it wasn't what i wanted but uh, i'm not going to complain it worked out well so um yeah mm-hmm. so he but he so he would hire the directors and he would choose who he wanted to work with cameron crow jerry Maguire, and vanilla sky uh like just so many edward zwick in the last samurai which i think is one of his most underrated performances i think he's fantastic in that movie mm-hmm. um so yeah that's i mean yeah so tom tom cruise is someone who's very very interesting and i know he's a polarizing figure now and probably deservedly so for some of the things that he's said and done but i still like or at least his, his uh, you know his 80s and 90s work and early 2000s 
there are very few actors that were as consistently good as he was during that period. Yeah, I mean, th- like you said, this movie catapulted him into star yeah. superstardom, right? Uh, made him, you know, a huge name, and it, you know, it's the na- it's the movie. I mean, um, risky business put him on the map, but this movie really, you know, catapulted his career to the next level. Yes, absolutely, um, and he's never really fallen too far from that level. Things no, around now, him may I mean, have changed. Can... Yeah, exactly. And you can complain about the movies he's made lately, but he's still Tom Cruise, and people Correct. don't know who he is, and and he still ha- he's still a big box office. draw. Exactly, so. he's a big box office draw, and I mean, and, like and I said, actually, teenagers probably know who he is as much as maybe we did when we were teenagers, or if if people older than us knew when in the eighties knew his name. Yeah. Right, and if that's what his goal is, then I mean, he's doing it. I mean, you could say what you want about his current films or his career, yeah. but he's still on top, so. You know, it just seems nice. like a whole far cry from when he made he had released in the same year uh, Eyes Wide Shut and Magnolia, and he got an Oscar nomination for Magnolia. And I mean, if you want to look for a great Tom Cruise performance, Magnolia is certainly a fantastic one. I remember when it started out, I'm like, a WWE wrestler could be playing this. I remember thinking Triple H could do this. And then, of course, I'm not kidding. I thought that in the theater as the movie went on. I'm like, wow, he's he's. If you want to see an amazing actor evolve before your eyes. Check out Magnolia. It's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, all right. So, we have, this is Tom Cruise. Kelly McGillis. So, I know she was in Witness. I yep. don't know her from anything else. I'm sure she's been in other things, but I don't personally know her from anything else other yeah. than this movie. And I, I, I never yeah. saw Witness, but... You would like Witness because I know you like Harrison Ford. And believe it or not, when I was looking this up, there was maybe a brief moment in time. Because when you will look at most ads and posters and, you know, things for this movie, trailers for this movie, it said Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis, Top Gun above the title. Right. Okay. There may have been a brief time because Witness, 1985, the previous year before Top Gun, huge box office hit. Uh, Mm -hmm. Big movie for Harrison Ford, big star. Uh, Peter Weir, big director, got a Best Director nomination. It got Best Picture nominations. It was a big Oscar favorite, uh, Oscar-nominated movie the the previous year. So there may have been a small, brief moment in time where Kelly McGillis was at least as big as Tom Cruise. But then, yes, once Top Gun came out, just that was it. Okay. And I I can only name two other movies with her besides witness. And, um, I didn't look up her filmography or anything. Uh, but I've seen her in two other movies besides witness and top gun, the accused with Jodie Foster, which is a gut wrenching, Mm -hmm. harrowing film. She's her attorney. Uh, Jodie Foster is a character who gets raped uh, by multiple men. Uh, so, and she, she's the attorney who tries to prosecute the people that, uh, sexually assaulted her. And the other movie, I, we think we mentioned this when we talked about King Ralph. Uh, she was in the babe. I think she was one of babe Ruth's wives or ex wives in that film. So yeah, a small role. I mean, I certainly, I saw the movie a long time ago. I remember John Goodman in it. I don't remember her making much Mm -hmm. of an impact on me. And I, last I checked from what I know, she has, I believe a restaurant in Key West. I think it's called Kelly's hangar and it's a Top Gun themed. I've heard about it. People (laughs) have gone there. It's a Top Gun. So she's making money off of this. Uh, This is her biggest claim to fame now. Uh, A Top Gun themed restaurant. I, you know, she, is sort of out of Hollywood, uh, mm-hmm. to the best yeah, of my knowledge. I don't think she's made a movie in a very long time. I could be wrong. Sometimes you think that people, like Steve Gutenberg, still is making movies. 
and he has been Not working. Con- he's been working consistently for the past 25, 30 years, but yeah, nothing I've seen, nothing yeah. I've heard of. So I'm not sure if Kelly McGillis is doing anything. So yeah, I, uh, I don't movie either. wise, movie wise, yeah. she has a restaurant in uh, Key West that I've heard about, and I've heard it's very good. So Kelly's Hangar, I've heard about that. So um, all right, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I know she was in Witness. I didn't see Witness, and I don't know her from anything else. But so this is definitely for me. This is this movie is you know the top of her career. Yeah, and for um, most people, I, it, yeah. it clearly was. She never had a bigger hit than this. So yeah, yeah. Um, Anthony Edwards. I know he was in ER. Um, he was in Pet Cemetery too, and I only know that because I saw it. That was um, bad. I actually yeah, saw that recently. <laughs> I was on a bit of a Stephen King kick uh, a few months ago. I did the whole Stephen King tour up in Maine, uh, yeah. and yeah, so I, I was watching some pretty bad Stephen King movies like Graveyard Shift, and I, I checked out Pet Cemetery too. It was on Amazon Prime, I think, and yeah, that wasn't very good. So, no, but he was in uh, Revenge of the Nerds, which is a very good movie. I'd like to give a shout out to Revenge of the Nerds. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, um, no, but, but for the most part. I think his biggest success was, I think he's probably won Emmys or Golden Globes or it was at least nominated for ER. He was on that show for 10 years or so. He was on it for a very long time. Very, very successful show. Mm -hmm. Um, Val Kilmer um, wasn't really a big name at this time. I mean, other than he was in Top Secret and um, Real Genius. Real Genius. I think was this his first dramatic role? Yeah, okay. So if this was indeed his third movie, then this is his first dramatic role and... I think he did a really good job. Uh, we could talk about, you know, him. I think he was a good foil to Tom Cruise's, you know, intense, in-your-face, always smiling, jovial, you know, arrogant yeah. pilot. And he was the Iceman. He was cold. He was serious. He was, you know, I don't like you because you're dangerous. Okay. Right. It was a good, you know, he, him and Cruise butted heads. I don't know if they didn't get along while they were filming, but the... the you I know, didn't was, hear anything about that. But it was palpable that they didn't get along on screen. They both yeah. did a good job conveying that. So... Yep. Yeah. Good Good rival. Um, mm-hmm. Other than the chomping scene, which we'll get to later, <laughs> it was memorable, wasn't it? I that's one of the scenes I always remembered. I, memorable I, I, isn't always good, but it um, was a good it was a good confrontation. It was well, whatever. They had a lot of good confrontational moments. I was going to say, other than the volleyball scene, which we'll get to later. Oh uh, yeah, well that's a whole other. Yeah, okay. um, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, and then um, Meg Ryan, very brief role. Um, so I mean, she's in this movie. Yes, this but, was probably her biggest movie at the time, or her biggest role point. at the time, and it brought her up to. I mean, three years later, she was when Harry met Sally, which was a huge hit. I'm sure she had other movies in between. I just don't. Kn- Actually, I know one, The Presidio, with uh, Sean Connery and Mark Harmon, and she's Sean Connery's daughter who's dating Mark Harmon, and they're investigating a uh, murder at a military base on the Presidio in San Francisco. It's a good 80s action movie. Not amazing, but good enough. So. Tim Robbins is young in his career here, right? I mean, he's, yeah, not, he, he's barely in the movie. You can only yeah, see and he was, it, but. yeah, he was two years away from stardom or becoming a bigger name because Bull Durham, I think, was what put yeah, him on Bull the Durham map. Is what and that was 1988. So, 86. Yeah, his career prior to that was, you know, not really, it wasn't, yeah, no one really knew Tim Robbins in 1986. But by the time Bull Durham came out two years later, he was, you know, opposite uh, Kevin Costner and right. uh, Susan Sarandon. They were big names, and so he was the third most important person in that movie, and it was a big hit. So he became a big name, and, you know, after yeah. that. 
And the only other one I, I feel is worth mentioning is Tom Skerritt, and and I know he's your your boy from the Alien movie, <laughs> the first um, Alien, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, I always think of the Ted scene when the guy talks yep. about being friends with Tom Skerritt. Did you ever hang a garage door with Tom Skerritt? <laughs> <laughs> he did have a good cameo in. Uh, I think his cameo was overshadowed in Ted by uh, Sam J. Jones's cameo when he right. shows up as yeah. Flash Gordon. Uh, but yeah, Tom Skerritt. I also liked him. He had a small part in. Uh, Cheech and Chong up in smoke. He had a okay. big part in the movie Mash, Robert Altman's the movie that inspired the TV show. He it was mm-hmm. him, uh, Donald Sutherland, and uh, Elliot Gould were the three main characters in Mash. Um, and yeah, since then he's you know been an older man in a lot of supporting parts. I feel like I've seen him in a lot of military movies. Uh, yeah, you know, Rolton roles, authority have. roles, similar to this. Uh, there's a few other names I'd like to mention though. You did not mention well, you mentioned Michael Ironside. Are you a mm-hmm. big Michael Ironside fan, or is that just me? I don't even know who he is. Other than oh, you've never seen Scanners? No. Oh, great 80s movie that I looked it up. We can't do that for this podcast. But <laughs> great 80s horror, sci-fi horror movie. You've got to see Scanners. If you've ever had a bad headache, you could just tell David Cronenberg, the writer-director, one day I imagine he had a migraine and it inspired him to write Scanners. Okay. Uh, so that's a good one. And of course, he had great parts in RoboCop and Total Recall. No, not RoboCop. Total Recall and Starship Troopers. I named the wrong Paul Verhoeven movie. So uh, there's, is there someone I didn't mention that you felt I should have? Because there's only one other person I could think of. There's three. And three the first people? one I'm going to say, there's three people I'd like to give a shout out to in the cast. That All right, let me do one then. I, I'm you do your one and I'll do the other two. Okay. I bet you know who my one is. Is it James Tolkien? It is James Tolkien. Okay, and tell us why you know James Tolkien. I'm sure I know him for the same reason. Because he's the principal in Back to the Future. <laughs> yes, he the is. The whole movie, every time he was in the movie, I wanted to hear him say, you're a slacker. You're a slacker, McFly. <laughs> you remind me of your old man. He was a slacker, too. <laughs> Strickland, yes, and he plays basically the same kind of part. And exactly, I, I'm not but sure a how much nicer. He's a, he's a little nicer in this movie. Yeah, I guess he, he was he, directed he to like be over the top a little bit yeah. in Back to the Future. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, so who are the two I well, didn't mention? James Tolkien also, I'd like to mention, he, he pretty much made, you know, in the 80s, he was kind of like the go-to Strickland-type role. Uh, did you ever see, I'm guessing because you didn't mention it, you're not familiar with it, uh, Masters of the Universe, the movie? with yeah. Dolph Lundgren. It's he easy. was in that. He was playing basically the same kind of part. Bald head. He looked exactly the same. His character's name could have been Strickland and no, it wouldn't have made a difference. Okay, <laughs> Strickland in this movie. Too. He could have been Commander Strickland with give him a different call name or give him whatever yeah. call name he had. His last name could have easily been Strickland. He was in Dick Tracy as well and he was in, I, I don't think you ever saw this movie. It was a fantastic movie. Serpico with Al Pacino. The Al Pacino yeah, cop I saw movie. Serpico. Okay, he has a small part in that. He's a cop. I don't and, remember him. Yeah. In that, but I saw. I he looks the same. He looks. He's like like Mark Margolis. The man has never aged. It's like yeah. he was he was old, bald and old his whole time. The other names I'd like to mention: uh, Clarence Gilliard Jr. He was, I guess, the token African American pilot in this. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You've definitely sun, seen him in other. Sundown things. was his. Culture. Okay, yeah, he's definitely been in other things. He was in. I know him from Karate Kid Part Two. He is in my favorite okay. scene from that movie, the ice-breaking scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always remember that, and it's, it's such a great, great moment, I think. Um, and and you could I've, I've watched it so many times, you could tell he's he may be a good actor in other things, but in that he, he's not a good actor for faking to smoke, okay? Because he's supposed no. to be smoking in that scene, and you could just tell the man never smokes, which is a good thing. Um, yeah. But he was also in Walker, Texas Ranger, the TV show, which I liked when I was a kid in the okay. 90s. Uh, and the uh, one other actor I'd like to mention, just because 
because he's in one of my favorite horror movies. It's a cult horror movie, uh, Near Dark. Uh, Adrian Pazdar. It's the only other movie I've seen him in, and he's the leading role in Near Dark. He's done a lot of other things, but Who nothing. Who was he in this movie? I think his call sign was Chipper. You see him at one scene near the end, actually, and he's uh, sitting next to Clarence Gilliard Jr. and they're talking. It's around when Iceman gets the uh, the, the Top Gun trophy and everything like that. Uh, uh, so yeah, you see him real quick, and I'm like, hey, he looks because exa- this uh, Adrian Pazdar, he looks exactly the same as he did in Near Dark, which came out in 1987. So uh, yeah, you know, didn't quite have a career, but I love Near Dark, and I'll always uh, bring that up when people talk about great underrated movies. So that's the cast and what a cast i mean we have never spent this much time talking about any of the casts of any we did great gatsby which had a huge cast we did you know the legendary cast of um island of dr moreau and the legendary marlon brando's career we've analyzed that but i mean this cast is the biggest cast we've done so far for any uh movie yeah, I agree. Um, all right, so let's talk about uh, the director and producer, which I know mm. you want to talk about them. So the, the director is Tony Scott, who is the younger brother, I think, of Ridley Scott. Yes, he is. And are you a Tony Scott fan? Mm, I'm not going to say I'm a Tony Scott fan. I I, I know he... Uh, no, I'm not a Tony Scott fan. Okay, all um, right. I, yeah. I know he directed... Um, I think he directed the second... Um, Beverly Hills Cop. Yes, he did. That was his follow-up to this because this was such a hit. And the producers, who we'll talk about whenever we're done talking about Tony Scott, they had such a hit on their hands, they just wanted the formula to work again. So they hired Tony Scott to direct their next uh, big uh, production for Paramount, which was Beverly Hills Cop 2. So yeah, this was the movie that put him on the map. This was the movie that changed his career. Yeah, Um, I mean, go on. I was going to say Days of Thunder too. Okay, well, also with Tom Cruise and also yep. uh, Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer production as well. Uh, so Tony Scott, before this, he had a small vampire movie with a predominantly British cast of David Bowie. Um, uh, Susan Sarandon was in it. and uh, It was filmed in uh, England, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, a small horror movie. No one really saw it. And then somehow he got the job for Top Gun. And he kind of directed, I think his idea was like to make it like a sports movie, like Rocky, and not like an action movie, and it shows. Um, and it became a huge hit. It, he's, you know, he's, this is what changed his life. And uh, sadly, his life was cut short uh, by his own doing. He uh, committed suicide. But in the meantime, he gave us, I mean, if I read the list of his, his credits on his filmography, and, and I am actually a Tony Scott fan, I'll say he never directed a movie as good as Ridley Scott did with films like Alien, Blade Runner, Gladiator, etc. But I will say he was probably more consistent than his brother was. Because when his brother makes some bad movies, you got oh, they can yeah. be really bad. Okay, Tony Scott is a visual artist. He had a style, he had a vision, and he just did not you know, change at all. And I miss his action visual style. I like those 80s, 90s action movies. Whereas now everything, even though he, in the 2000s, his style got even more obnoxious and kinetic. And if you've ever seen Man on Fire or Domino or Deja Vu, they have those kinds of, you feel like you're watching a Man on Fire had some great moments because Denzel's a great actor. You can't deny that Mm -hmm. and everything. But did you see Man on Fire, Rich? No. It's, it feels like a two and a half hour 
bad, crazy, prodigy music video. It's like, remember how you didn't like the words, the subtitles showing up when characters were speaking uh, yeah. in Gatsby? It's like that only times a thousand, because then everything else is shaking. and go- It's like a Bourne movie. It's, it's just too much visual overload. But, I mean, he did Beverly Hills Cop 2, Days of Thunder, Last Boy Scout, which I love, True Romance, which I don't love, but everyone else loves, because Tarantino, uh, it was a Tarantino script. Crimson Tide, which is one of, I think, his best, I would say that's his best movie, Crimson Tide. Did you ever see that? Uh, yeah, once. I did okay. And I did the, like it. He did, and then he followed that up with The Fan, which I did not like. That may be one of his no, worst movies. And De Niro and Snipes, who are usually great actors, were not good in that. Enemy of the State, which I loved. Uh, he did a cup Spy Game, Man on Fire, Domino, Deja Vu. And then he did his last two films, were two train movies that were very action-packed, but so different. Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, the remake with Denzel Washington mm-hmm. and John Travolta. I liked that. And then I loved Unstoppable with Denzel and Chris Pine and that was just such a just pure action drive yeah, yeah. riveting stuff I love that and then sadly a couple of years later he uh, uh, killed himself and it was very I, I, I did I guess I never realized how much I loved Tony Scott until he was gone and I miss that style that he did and I mm-hmm. liked all the films he did with Denzel and he worked with so many great actors and a lot of his movies seem to involve an African American man teaming up with a white man I'm thinking of a Beverly Hills Cop 2 Last Boy Scout uh, Crimson Tide The Fan Enemy of the State okay a lot of his yeah. movies seem to involve that for some reason Unstoppable uh, I, I don't know why that was but there was something that he he worked with Denzel a lot so that's you know five of his mm-hmm. movies right there why, why he may have done that they had a great working relationship uh, but yeah, it's just very fun, macho, testosterone-driven action movies that I really liked. So I miss him. Um, so then Jerry Brockheimer and Don Simpson produced this, and I'm I'm sure there's I, I know Jerry Brockheimer uh, has produced a lot of movies. So mm-hmm. um, is, is he always with Don Simpson, or is he sometimes by himself? He was or? he was always with Don Simpson, I believe, until Don Simpson passed away. Not from suicide. I think he just... Don Simpson was not a healthy man, let's say okay. that. I think he had a lot of uh, drug addiction issues, I believe. A lot of vices. I believe he had a lot of vices. But yeah, but up until the last movie that they made together was The Rock in 1996. And then I think Con Air came out the following year and... From 1997 on, it's been a Jerry Bruckheimer production. So, yeah. so we know his name from you know in the 2000s, the National Treasure movies, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. But mm-hmm. uh, I think Top Gun was a turning point for Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. Well, I mean, they had two huge hits on their hands before this. 1983, they had Flashdance. Did you ever see Flashdance? Okay. Yeah. Very 80s movie, but I actually think it's fun. I like it. Um, Critics hated it, but it made a ton of money. So then they did Beverly Hills Cop the next year, another one critics didn't like that made even more money. I think up until, I could be mistaken, I think Passion of the Christ in 2004, so 20 years after Beverly Hills Cop came out, that's the movie that replaced Beverly Hills Cop as the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. And then I think Deadpool may have surpassed that. Um, so that was that's a, quite a record, okay, for yeah. Beverly Hills Cop for 20 years. Terminator 2 couldn't top it. Uh, all the you know big R-rated movies that have come out uh, between 1984 and 2004, Beverly Hills Cop was the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. And then the third big movie that they made, of course, was Top Gun. And I think this is what started Jerry Bruckheimer's 
long-standing collaboration with the U.S. government willing to help his mega-budget productions. And that would continue throughout the 90s with action films. We mentioned Crimson Tide. I believe they used real U.S. naval officers and U.S. Navy submarines. The Rock, I know they had military cooperation with Enemy of the State. Okay, so a lot of... If he needed the government to help him, the government would help Jerry Bruckheimer make his movies, which is not you know that's that's unusual okay and this was so this was a big 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 hit for jerry bruckheimer and you know just allowed him to make even more movies big you know and i I liked a lot of his production output uh and if it wasn't for the marvel movies and the comic book you know oversaturation i mean i feel like that's what sort of dwindled his career a little bit but he's still he's got tv i forgot what tv shows he produces but i'm sure you've heard of them uh, yeah definitely. he's a I mean, big his, mega his name, producer yeah his name is everywhere and it's yeah it's hard to miss it i mean we can, we can go on exactly for, exactly yeah. talking about all the things you've in some way been a part of yeah and a lot of the movies i mentioned with tony scott that tony scott directed he produced so right. they had a working relationship for years yeah yep um, all right, so I mean that that was a big lead up to the movie. We haven't really even gotten into the movie yet. But no, we have not. Not to. <laughs> and well, we discussed the soundtrack, we discussed the video games, we discussed the cast and the the producer and director. All right, so let's get into the movie. So yeah, and, and the Oscars, we discussed that. But also remember, this did get it only won the Oscar for best song, but I believe it had like four or five nominations, and they were all in technical sound yeah, categories, technical editing categories. Yeah. categories. But deservedly so. I'm not saying yeah, it should have won. I don't know. I may, if whatever it if it lost to Platoon, I'm that's fine. But um, you know, it's, it was nominated and it deserved at least the nominations that it got. Agreed. All right. Um, all right. So the Top Gun. This is what the movie's about. So the Top Gun Naval Fighter Weapons School is where the best of the best train to refine their elite flying skills. Mm-hmm. When hotshot fighter pilot Maverick, played by Tom Cruise, is sent to the school. His reckless attitude and cocky demeanor put him at odds with the other pilots, especially the cool and collected Iceman, played by Val Kilmer. But Maverick isn't only competing to be the top fighter pilot, he's also fighting for the attention of his beautiful flight instructor, instructor Charlotte Blackwood, played by Kelly McGillis. Um, all right, so the movie open. The movie came out in '86, like we said. So the movie opens with um, some script about the, the flight school and how it's the top one percent of the pilots that get to go there, and mm-hmm. it's you know the, the the flyers call it Top Gun. That's like the unofficial name of it. Right. Um, and then you get some shots of planes taking off and landing on an aircraft carrier. All cool shots. You got the the Top Gun theme playing. Start over the over starts. that's over the opening credits, and then over even the after that, credits. you get even more shots of the planes taking off and flying over Danger Zone. And you, I, I believe, they play Danger Zone, the yes. Kenny Loggins song, in its entirety, yep. right there. Yeah, for the most, yeah. Oh, well, I don't know about the, its entirety, but yeah, it, that, at least that, at least two song. minutes. Okay, yeah. yeah so. Yep, and it's just shots of you know establishing shots of of you know planes taking off and, and landing. I remember being a kid and watching the tape that I had and stopping it right after the Kenny Loggins song because this was before YouTube and I didn't have the CD or the soundtrack or the tape, you know. Uh, so I, if I just wanted to hear that song, I would play that and then it would be I, over. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So because because in the old days, you know, some of if there was a movie that I had on tape or DVD, but in the days before YouTube, and I didn't want to let's say buy the soundtrack, I would just listen to the end credits and listen to that song and be like, yeah, and then that was it. So yeah, um, yeah. So I did that with Danger Zone with the beginning, the opening part of Top Gun. Yeah, and it's a, it's a good opening to a movie. Um, oh yeah, you know, you got the it's a great song. You got the the images of the planes. Um, 
then so yeah, they're you you find out they're in the Indian Ocean, and and I'm glad the Indian Ocean got some love here because you don't hear about the Indian Ocean too often. No, you don't. <laughs> I mean, there was a flight about four or five years ago. I forgot the call sign for it that disappeared, and it was making me think of the show Lost. Do you remember was about it the that? Malaysian the, flight? Yes, because Malaysia's right near the Indian, yeah. smack dab in the Indian Ocean. Yeah, so there was a flight that disappeared, and to this day, I don't think we. Yeah, I don't we think they found happened. anything of it. No, they, they never found the wreckage. They never found. I don't. Yeah, they couldn't find anything. So it's horrible um, but yeah um but yeah that's you don't hear much about the indian ocean no and, and two different scenes in this movie uh the indian ocean uh t- the movie takes place on the indian ocean two mm-hmm. different scenes the beginning mm-hmm. basically the beginning of the movie the yeah, beginning and the end, end. yeah 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 um the middle of the movie they're all at the the top gun flight school which yeah. is in san diego i think um yes yeah so um you know it starts off that they're they're flying and there's some um MiG-28 fighter jets. Now, they never say what country they're from. The enemy? Yeah. I assumed Russian, Soviet Union, but you're right. They don't say. Yeah, they don't. They never never name it, but they... I assumed Russia too because you can see their faces and they're not like Chinese. They didn't was, look Asian, yeah, no, or, or Asian. dark skinned or anything, yeah. So, yeah, they, so I was I, assuming Russian as I've well. I've always assumed Russian, but it's vague. Yeah, I remember being frustrated about that then and yeah. more so now. Uh, one other thing though that, that's worth mentioning um, that you didn't mention, but this ties into something that you mentioned last week about short circuit. Obviously, 1986 or late 1986, early 1987 was really the time when VHS and VCRs became a big deal. Because I read that uh, you said Short Circuit found a big, it was a big hit in theaters, but it was an even bigger hit on videotape with rentals. Same thing with Top Gun. Top Gun was one of the first big movies to sell and sell out at video stores. When you'd go to a video store and we're all out of... The, the video stores couldn't keep Top Gun, the VHS, on the shelf. So that was a big hit across the country. And it was like people were buying Top Gun. I, I also uh, read that Top Gun is one of the first movies that you could buy at a reasonable price. Whereas I read that also, prior yes. Prior to that, it, were, you know, if you bought a VHS, it was like $100. Mm-hmm. Yes, I read that. And, and there's a little bit... Yeah, go on. Well, I was going to say, now that with Top Gun wanted to be, you know, cheaper because they wanted people to buy it or something like that. Um, that's what I read. But And they came up with, around that time, they came up with revenue sharing. Yes, so yes, yes. The, the, if you see, there's a documentary on, uh, on uh, Netflix called The Last Blockbuster, and they explain how people loved Star Wars and they loved Terminator, but did they love it enough to spend $99.95 for a VHS tape? So it, was, it wasn't common to buy tapes okay and then top gun yes because there was such a demand for it and they started revenue sharing so every time if you bought a tape the video store got a little bit the movie the the paramount pictures got a piece of it so they shared they split the if it was 20 bucks they split the profits yeah i did see that documentary actually and i did i did enjoy it Um, i liked it i just i don't have good memories of blockbuster i have better memories of the mom and pop video stores i would go to when i was a kid so uh, do you have bad memories of blockbuster or just yes actually Yes, Why, I you got charged a lot of late fees. No, not at all. No, no I mean that—that's uh, that was a good reason. Here was my thing. I felt like the people that worked there didn't know anything about movies. That maybe that's. I think that's me being a movie snob for one. But the other reason is because let's okay. I was a movie snob as a, as a kid, and let's, I still am. And uh, did I you would, get fired from a blockbuster? No, I worked at a Suncoast. Do you remember Suncoast? I worked at a Suncoast. I worked at a, that was my one of my high school jobs. I worked at a Suncoast in the uh, a mall. Uh, 
Um, but no, they would have, I don't know, let's say Top Gun or I don't know, from my childhood, let's say Aaron Brockovich. Okay, that was a big hit. They would have... 300 copies of Aaron Brockovich, maybe 100 on DVD, uh, 200 on VHS. And then if I wanted to get, oh, I don't know, just some Serpico. Okay, let's say I never saw Serpico. I want to see Serpico. They wouldn't have Serpico. But then if I went to Easy Video, which was the name of the video store that I liked that was in my, you know, town, in my neighborhood, they would have Serpico. So I was like, okay. So I was just, I just started going there more often because they would have the if i wanted the okay they used to have a guarantee that we guarantee we'll have all our new releases in stock so if and i was a kid that went to the movie theaters a lot so i probably saw whatever movies i really wanted to see i tried to see in the theaters so if then if i missed it and i wanted a new release then i would go to blockbuster but if i wanted serpico or if i wanted dog day afternoon or i don't know something else that you know i just always wanted to see and had never seen uh you know i I could go to the easy video or the, you know, another video store and they would probably have it. So that's why I did not have yeah, the I, fondest I think memories I see what of you're saying here. So so you're saying Blockbuster was kind of like the the dummies video store where if you were yes. a real film guy, you didn't yes. go to Blockbuster. Correct. That's where, you know, average Joe went. <laughs> And also, of that, and also, not that I, for, for, I'm from the time that, you know, I would have gone, I would have been too young to go into the adults-only uh, pornography section, but I didn't like that, okay, here's an example of a movie that I wanted to see on uh, video, and uh, Blockbuster wouldn't carry it, or they'd only carry the R-rated version of it. They wouldn't carry unrated director's cuts versions of movies. Uh, Requiem for a Dream, I remember, I didn't see that in the theater, I wanted to see it. Blockbuster had only the R-rated version, so I would gladly go. They just they had those, you know, pure Christian values, whatever. They didn't want anything uncensored. They wanted mm-hmm. everything, uh, you know. So it's not like, oh, I wanted to get the pornography movies. I didn't want that, but I wanted to see the unrated director's cut of Requiem for a Dream or movies like that that were unrated and, you know, things like that. So uh, I always appreciated that about the mom-and-pop video stores, and Blockbuster would never carry things like that. Interesting. Well, so, I always I always loved Blockbuster. I used mm. to. I never worked at Blockbuster, but I worked next to a Blockbuster. Oh, um, so you probably were renting movies all the so, time. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it was a yeah, and it was a it was a big deal when I remember when, when Blockbuster opened up in in our town. It was like whoa, you know, like they have so many copies of things. Whereas you're right, the mom and pop store did have all the obscure movies, but they also mm-hmm. only had one copy of each new release. So if you wanted a new release. You, you had, had to go to Blockbuster. Blockbuster. Yeah, yeah, so that was where Blockbuster was good. And I'm glad I had both. Growing up, it was uh, I'm glad I had both. But then eventually all the other ones went bye-bye before Blockbuster did. And so, I mean, I think yeah. they all closed when I was still in high school before I went off to college. So yeah. I was kind of stuck only going to Blockbuster. And uh, then, you know what I discovered? I started renting movies from the library. And let's say if the library didn't have a movie that I wanted, they would order it. And so I started to get my older movies that way. So there was a way around it. But uh, it just, yeah, Blockbuster was not the answer for everything. Blockbuster was the answer for, I want to see the newest release. And yeah, that was was what it was good for. 
Seinfeld, great Seinfeld stand up a bit about the library. You know, the library is like that pathetic friend you had when you're growing up that they'll, they'll do anything you want. They'll give you anything you want as long as you just be their friend. <laughs> yes, I, that was the Bookman episode. One of yeah. my favorite with one of my favorite character actors, Philip Baker Hall, yeah. uh, who was also yeah. in Magnolia with Tom Cruise. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's one of my it's, absolute it's, it's, favorites. It's a government funded pathetic friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a true line. It's funny, but it made for a great episode. Uh, but yeah, so right. well, I guess with uh, Blockbuster, though, oh my God, I blanked. You you were saying, oh, did the, when the Blockbuster came to your town and it was a big deal? Did it put out, did it put the other stores out of business right mm. away or slowly or? I don't think so because there was only one other one that I remember, and I, I don't re- I think it was called All Star Video, but I might be wrong. Okay. Um, but no, I think they both existed at the same time. They were far enough away from each other in the town. Oh, okay. Not. So if you were but closer to the like Blockbuster, a, you'd go there. If you were closer to the other one, you'd go there. Exactly. Like a proximity gotcha. issue. Gotcha. Um, okay. So no, I think they both, they all existed for a time. And then, uh, or award, there was an award video. I too, I remember Maybe okay. that's something of an award video. But anyway, it's yeah, something else. Let uh, me see how many I, videos I can name in my town. Hold on. There was Easy Video, Backstage Video, Palmer Video, Heritage Video, Video Vault. And by the year 2000, I'm pretty sure, or 2001 at the very latest, they were all gone. So that's yeah. five five stores I just named off the top of my head. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, all right. So we'll go back. We talked about, um, oh, so we talked about the Meg and how they never really name the country that they're from, but we know right. they're the bad guy. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's a confrontation where the Meg has missile lock on um, one, of the, one of the pilots, but Maverick played by Tom Cruise. Uh, he um, is also there and he in he, he um, helps the other guy um, he, they get the one mig to go to fly away and then there's another mig and then Maverick um, does this stunt where he's inverted and he's like a foot or you know a couple feet away from him mm-hmm. and gives him the finger and the, the the other pilot i forget what they call this the back guy the guys that sit behind him in this movie but is it wingman um, no not wingman that's okay. the person behind you it, it that's the the other plane is the wingman. okay okay then yeah um, i forget i forget too yeah. you're the rear or something i don't know something like because they do say you could be my wingman anytime later on so i yeah. wasn't sure what that yeah. right um that just means you're the other pilot protecting his yeah. wing. you but, could um, you could protect me anytime is what he said correct yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, and then the, the guy that sits behind the pilot takes a, takes a Polaroid, and then it was Goose, takes a Polaroid of the MiG, and, and like I said, they were inverted, so they were upside down. Yeah. I hated that scene. Uh, I don't it's become that. such an iconic, cliched, spoof scene. It. Well, what's that scene really saying, Rich? Why did they put that scene there? Was it just to make people to go, oh, that's cool? Like, why, why do you think they really did that? Well, it's it's in there to make you to well, you, it shows you right off the bat that Maverick is unconventional and the bad, you know, the kind of the bad boy. Uh, okay, know, he's by his own rules. I didn't even um, think of that, but you're absolutely right. I thought of it from a political angle, of course, because that's how I think of a lot of things. What's uh, that? Giving the finger to the Russians? Or absolutely. Yeah. Ab. That was well, that's this movie is is. Let me just. I mean, this we got to bring this part up, but uh, this is probably the most jingoistic movie that I like, okay? This is really, I mean, so the most Republican movie that you could have possibly made in 1986. There's so much nationalism, it's just like oozing out of it, mm-hmm. and it's a, definitely a movie of its era, okay? That's that, that opening, that moment right there 
lets you know this is 1986. Okay, and this is a film that Ronald Reagan would have been proud of. I'm sure he saw it. I'm sure he loved it. And at times, and one of the biggest criticisms of from the critics was it plays more like a Navy or Air Force recruiting ad than it does a movie. Uh, so the fact that I like it, you know, which I'll say right off the bat, I am still a fan of this movie, makes this probably one of the best right-wing propaganda movies of all time, if that's what it is. And there's clearly that moment right there is clearly a propaganda moment. Well, we've only made it. it took, I'm surprised it took nine movies for you to finally say Republican propaganda or right wing propaganda in a film. Um, that, is, that is your go to. Uh, That's my call view. sign. That is your view on on movies like that. I didn't even think of that. I definitely thought pro America, but I don't. Oh think my I, god! You walk out of this movie. Yeah, views. I mean. You, I agree with you. Yeah. I'm not gonna say I don't agree with you, but I just don't look at movies like that. So okay. I, I just didn't think of that okay. when, when I was watching it. But you're, I'm not gonna say you're wrong. Um, it's it's painfully obvious. Well, I mean, it's exactly. it's like saying a Michael Moore film is uh, liberal. I mean, it's just well, it's it's, uh, yeah. it's right there. It's it so obvious. You in the face with it. I oh mean, would yeah. You, would you say Rocky Four is also like that? A hundred percent. And yeah. I'm just I have that in my notes because in in Top Gun you walk out all riled up. Okay, and the American the armed forces were very smart, and they started recruiting people at the movie theaters and getting young men that. who come out of the theaters, and they would sign up right away for the military. Because mm-hmm. uh, you walk out, you're ready to fight, you're ready to chant USA, USA. Okay, I mean it shows them this. The, the point of this movie is that America is the best and toughest military in the world, and nobody can beat us. During the Cold War, we are number one all the way. The only movie that rivals it with its pro-American audacity and still succeeds is Rocky IV, where Stallone and his muscles single-handedly defeat the Soviet Union and ends the Cold War. That's the only other movie that's more ridiculous, and that does it in 90 minutes. Top Gun's almost two hours, <laughs> okay? Like, it's it's pretty amazing what that movie, what both of these movies can accomplish, but this movie is... Yes, it's very, and if anyone knows my politics, I'm very, pretty liberal, pretty far left. Uh, So the fact that I still like this movie says more about the movie, I think, than it does anything else. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so then you, you find out that the um, the guy that had the missile lock on him that Maverick saved, his name was Cougar, he, he realized, mm-hmm. you know, he, he had trouble, um, he kind of froze up after that and wouldn't mm-hmm. land. Eventually, um, they get him to land on the aircraft carrier. It was a shaky landing. Right. Um, he, he then goes and sees the commanding officer, which is the principal from Back to the Future, um, and then he turns in his wings and quits, yep. which then opens up a spot at Top Gun for Maverick. Um, there's another scene there with the principal from Back to the Future. I'm just going to call him Strickland going forward. That's uh, fine. Str- we'll, we'll know who you're talking Strickland, about. Yeah, Strickland and then basically t- you know goes on a little rant about Maverick and basically explains that he's you know he's a bad boy. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. He's unconventional. He doesn't follow the rules. But he's a good pilot, so he's going to Top Gun, which is the, mm-hmm. you know the, the 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 big school to go. The to. best of the best, as Strickland says. Best of the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then, yeah, then they get to Top Gun, and um, there's a um, there's a scene where where Tom Skerritt kind of introduces 
the program and everything and explains that if you win the trophy, you get your name gets put on a little plaque. Um, then Val Kilmer um, makes some stupid joke where he says, oh, the, the loser's plaque is in the ladies' room or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. Yeah, um, when Tom Cruise is getting up to leave or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and then Goose says, oh, you kill me, which to me is the most blatant foreshadowing in any movie mm. ever. Because, I mean, even though Iceman doesn't kill Goose, in some way he's related. He's he's Correct. the cause of his death, um, which yeah. we'll talk more about that later. When and, it happens. And, yeah. and the script in general. Um, yeah, but, I'll just say when I was a kid, Goose dying was devastating to me, and I did not see that coming. And I don't know how much hindsight is twenty twenty, and I've seen this movie before, but it seems like they're foreshadowing it pretty well throughout every the, step of the way yes. which i did not notice the you know when i anytime i watched it prior to the age of 18 let's say correct and everyone knows i mean everyone who's who knows anything about this movie knows goose dies right i mean it's i not, would think it's, so it's yeah. not a spoiler like i remember you know even as a kid i remember like goose dies and it was a sad thing as a kid yeah i remember it being a dev like shock like a surprise like oh my god like they're yeah. gonna kill him they could kill anybody anything could happen you know right, i remember exactly. really being devastated with that with you know young me mm-hmm. yeah um and then you have uh, the scene in the bar where Tom Cruise sees Kelly McGillis's character and um, sings a song. She's lost that love and feeling. Where mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden he miraculously gets a microphone. And uh, then I-, I like the scene. What I don't like and what I never really noticed before about this scene is that everyone starts singing, which I don't remember that. Like, I, I do remember that. I don't <laughs> know why. Does yeah. <laughs> every person in the bar join in with that? And then they they're American. It. They're a team. They're together. They're the best. But, okay? but they don't it's even just, know each other yet. They had just I, met hours I'm, before. <laughs> I'm giving you the movie reason why I think they do it. The logical reason why? that would I don't think that would ever really happen. There unless everyone's really drunk. And if they were that drunk, I don't think they... I don't know. But uh, it, it's it's a silly scene, but it's one that it's one of the most famous scenes in the movie. Oh, yeah. and Well, yeah, it's a famous scene in the movie. You know, if mm-hmm. it was a karaoke bar, I could see that happening. Yeah, that's a good likely. point. There you go. But it's that's just a like point. a regular bar. And what, what gets me is after he, Tom Cruise stops singing and goes and sits next to the girl, she says, all right, sit down. Then everyone keeps singing it. It's like, what is going on here? Um, but <laughs> it's it's, I, I it's over the top. It's a it bit sh- much, but it, but it, it is famous. It, I remember it pretty well. Yeah, and it shouldn't have bothered me as much as it does, but it did. Um, okay. So, but but I do like the scene, and I like everything, all the, everything else about it. I was just okay. like, why is why is everyone else singing here? But anyway, um, you know. And then he talks to to Kelly McGillis for a little bit, um, but it doesn't go well, and she basically says like. You know, no thanks, but no thanks. And she was there with another guy, and um, but you can tell there's like something happening there. Um, yeah. So then, um, then they're doing some, you know. Then it, I mean, the movie's back and forth between basically between the love story and flying, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or or scenes in the air, I should say. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's a scene with it where he uses air brakes, which is again foreshadowing something that happens later, um, mm-hmm. he, where he gets. Um, uh, Jester, who is one of the the top instructors, um, the, the commanders, uh, he gets him to fly right by him, and then he doesn't move, but he and he gets him, but it's below the hard deck, and I guess a hard deck is like a 
a foot, a feet, or, or an altitude that they they aren't allowed to engage underneath that altitude for safety reasons, I guess. Um, <clears throat> and so he does get Jester and does kill him and kill in is in air quotes there because they're obviously not going to kill their their own, you know, they're just it's just a training exercise. But um, yeah, so he he. Uh, he gets him to stop, and then, or he get he does a lock, get missile lock on him, um, and then you find out that Val Kilmer's character, Iceman, also got missile lock on him too, and it wasn't below the hard deck. And you know, Val Kilmer is kind of like the man to beat, right? He's yes. he's the top fl- fighter. I mean, these are all the top fighters, but he's the top of the top. Um, yes, yeah. So he's you know, and then that's when you have the scene where um, you know they're obviously not getting along, and and. Tom Cruise says, you know, what's your problem, Kazansky? And and he goes, you're my problem, because every time you're up there, you're unsafe and um, you're reckless or something like that. And then Tom Cruise has that great, you know, that's right, Iceman, I am reckless or something like that. <laughs> great scene, yeah. great back and forth. It is. Yeah. And, and then it's ruined when Val Kilmer chomps at him. That didn't bother me. That's never bothered me. Oh, that's that's, I thought that was a good me. scene. It's okay, I disagree with you. I thought that was... <laughs> A little emphasis, a little uh, that didn't bother me. But like, is that supposed to scare him, or is like, what? What is that? <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 I it, he was in his face. Okay, if someone gets in your face, you don't know what to do. Short of punching him, <laughs> you bite. You, you, I, bite him. you pretend you <laughs> fake feign biting him. I, 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 I didn't bother me. That didn't bother me. I, but here's you did touch on something that did bother me: the relationships between the characters are not very well developed, mainly the romance between Tom Cruise, Maverick, and Kelly McGillis's Charlie, which we'll talk about in later scenes, because we've only talked about their first scene together, but they I, really have zero chemistry. I was going to say, there's no chemistry there. They're, and allegedly, they did not get along while filming, and it shows. I mean, I, I thought there was no chemistry there. I thought yeah. it was, it, every time they're in the scene together, I'm just like... What what is Tom Cruise even thinking right now? Uh, it does. It seems like they both don't like each other. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't like either of each other. They neither the one of them seems like they want to be with the other person. So like it's it, yeah, it's, it's yeah. very yeah, it's um, not the best. But but whereas the relationships between Tom Cruise and Anthony Edwards is believable, they seem like best friends. That's the most believable out of all of them. I mean, and and you, and you kind of do get the sense that that um val kilmer i mean he, he did a good job in this and, and the next thing i was going to say his rivalry with val kilmer worked just as well as his friendship with anthony edwards Correct. worked val kilmer as iceman like i said the perfect foil to cruise's maverick is cold steely calm and collected mm. going up against the wild rogue in your face tom cruise Okay, and this was the first time, I guess, Val Kilmer, we talked about how he was sleepwalking through Dr. Moreau 10 years after this movie. He was still, this was only his third movie, and this is his first dramatic role, his first non-comedic role. He had something to prove, and I think he proved it. I think he's very good in this. It's a limited role, but he did a good job. And, you know, a few years later, he's in The Doors, which is his best performance, probably. Uh, Absolutely. And in between that, Willow. And, yeah, I mean, between 86 and 96, he had some pretty, you know, solid career, I would say. So, Mm -hmm. but, Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, so then, uh, you know, he gets yelled at by by the the commander, Viper, um, for attacking below the hard deck. Um, and for doing a flyby, I think, right? Because he does a flyby, makes the guy spill his coffee. And then yeah, the I was gonna say these guys need to know not to drink hot coffee up there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean that's just that's just better. yeah. They they should know better at this point. And then yeah. he walks out of the office and w- runs into the guy serving coffee. <laughs> um, 
Yes, I agree. Um, then, then um, there's a, there's a one there's one line I have written down here where he says, "Slider, you stink." Which, <laughs> what was that? I don't even remember that line. So yeah. it's not even. I'm not even yeah, laughing at that because I don't even remember random that. Line. I guess. Well, oh, so. Um, Tom Cruise is, is hitting on um, Kelly McGillis, but he's doing it pretty blatantly in front of everybody. And okay. um, Slider sees this and says, like, ooh, crash and burn or something like that. And oh, goes, okay, I remember that. He, that he goes up and goes, Slider, you stink. Like, this is so random. <laughs> they didn't know what to do there. The script isn't one of the strong points of Top Gun. Okay, uh, if, we were to, if we were to break this down and grade every aspect, like acting, directing, editing, screenplay... The screenplay would be the lowest ranked out of everything I just named. Okay, category-wise. Okay, so Not it starts there. Yeah, that would be the lowest. That's the worst um, part of this film. Yeah, so then anyway, I, I did skip over that. You find out that the girl Tom Cruise is going after, Kelly McGillis, is actually an instructor at the school. So, you know, it's got that... that sense of you know that little edge yeah, yeah that little extra edge and if you didn't realize that i think i even knew that when i was a kid when you saw the legs walking that slow reveal where you don't see kelly mcgillis's head right. or face if you don't realize that's kelly mcgillis you've never seen a movie before right. i mean that's all i have to say yeah um uh then there's the then out of nowhere and i'm i'm sure you you have to agree with me on this out of nowhere there's a beach volleyball scene which couldn't fit in this movie any less. I agree. I agree. Um, it, it literally serves zero purpose other than to show three out of four men. For some reason, Anthony Daniels kept his shirt on. Uh, but not Anthony Daniels. Sorry. Anthony, Anthony Edwards. Edwards. I knew who you meant. Um, yeah. Not C-3PO. But uh, three of the other four. Uh, guys that are in this are shirtless playing volleyball. It serves no purpose to the plot in any way. It's no. just there. And that, I guess, is where why this movie has tones of homoeroticism, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. The volley. Here's my notes on the volleyball scene. I'll just read what I wrote down. The volleyball scene is the most unnecessary, silly, homoerotic excuse to show off their hot young stars sexy bodies thrown in there for eye candy for the ladies i can imagine the romance itself and then i go on to how the romance itself felt artificial and arbitrary to get female demographics butts in the theaters i think the only reason they may have had that scene was for the men to show off look how great they look and so to boost the star's egos and also to get women in the seats because uh, this is pretty much a male macho kind of movie. Even though there is a romance, I don't think women were dying to see Top Gun unless they had a crush on Tom Cruise at that point, which he wasn't Tom Cruise yet, the megastar that he would become. So I think it may have been there just to give throw the women a bone that went with their boyfriends <laughs> or that the, their men dragged them to, to see be, it. right? Because I mean, otherwise it is the worst scene in the movie. I've never understood it. And it also brings me up to something else we've had so many great sports movies can you think of one other movie that shows volleyball that no i can't either okay i've seen more movies than you i cannot i mean we've got movies about think about all these non i don't know 
visual sports out there. Golf, for example, is not the most visually stimulating sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could say that baseball, track running, okay? They've got Chariots of Fire. They've got Race, the Jesse Owens story. Okay, they've got Prefontaine. Okay, they've got movies about track. They've got movies about, I mean, all these obscure sports. Bobsledding, cool runnings, just they're thinking of an obscure sport. I can't think of a single other movie... And volleyballs are pretty visually, you know, I've heard people joke, ooh, women's volleyballs on ESPN, oh, you know, joke about volleyball, watching it. It's not, you know, it doesn't get a lot of television play on, you know, regular TV, but I can't think of a single other movie that is A, about volleyball, or B, has a volleyball scene. And that's just, it's mind-blowing to me. I a couple that have volleyball scenes, Could, but I don't I'd know like to hear them. Are- Okay, Police Academy 5, Mission... Which I never saw. Okay, (laughs) all right. Okay, so Miami Beach. Okay, Police Academy 5 has... That's good to know. So there's one. All right, Um, you... you the um the office has an episode where that's a tv show that's it a, is TV a tv show, show oh, so like uh, saved by the bell has a as a when okay. they have this there's a saved by the bell second second reference of saved by the bell on this podcast jeez uh where okay. they play volleyball um but otherwise yeah. Uh, yeah. one other movie i can think of um okay. she's she's all that which was a freddie prince jr Rachel yes. Lee Cook. Guy, uh, a, and I actually like that movie, and now I remember brief, it. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, there's a yes. brief volleyball scene in that. But beach again, volleyball as well, to show off the volleyball. women, the bikinis, and the, I'm sure the, the guys and look the guys, good. yeah. I haven't Paul. seen it in a long time, but yeah, that's a good, good example. Very good. Paul okay. Walker, I think, is in that. He yes, he is in that. Yeah. in that scene. Yep. Probably, you're, you're yeah. right. I, I think that that scene is for the women. Um, even I mean, we we had talked about this. We don't talk about movie the movies beforehand, but you did mention last week that there's some homoerotic. I did mention that movie. when I told you we were doing uh, Top Gun. Yes, yeah, so. and and you're right. And I don't know. And, and again, not that there's anything wrong with that. I don't care in any way. Um, but is it is is it is it that or is it or are those scenes? for the women that came to see this movie. Like, maybe... I mean, my mom likes this movie. I'm sure those scenes have something to do with the reason she likes it. <laughs> um, do you think that was just thrown in for the women, or do you think that there are actually, like, undertones in this movie that intentional? I don't think it's intentional, because we could talk about the video clip that you sent me uh, mm. later. If you want to talk about that now, we can talk about it now. You, uh, Rich sent me a uh, very fun, uh, funny video clip that I never heard of and uh, never knew anything about. Uh, but uh, I don't... N- okay, another Tom Cruise movie. Interview with a Vampire? The homoerotic themes and subtext in that is intentional. I don't know if you've seen that movie or not. I believe it's there. I did a long time ago, yeah. It's obvious. Watch it again. It's obvious and i think it was intentional i don't think that was done by accident uh and once again neil jordan is a different kind of director than tony scott i'm not saying Mm -hmm. he's a better director than tony scott but he's a little more uh i don't know intentional and subversive and you know puts in maybe more subliminal things into his movies Mm -hmm. uh is not a knock against tony scott i spent you know minutes on this podcast praising his whole filmography um but i i think that was intentional this i think i think it was because they wanted a scene for women, so that way women will at least walk out and tell their friends, and then maybe they, they'll be, oh, okay, maybe I should see that. Ooh, Tom Cruise, he's so hot, and then, oh, these other guys, oh my god. And I also think it was to stroke the stars' egos, okay? Because okay. they may have never, we didn't realize Tom Cruise was going to look, you know, the same for the next 
35 years for the most part but uh maybe they thought that these guys would never look the same again and so stroke their egos give them a nice tan show off their six-pack and their muscles and their haircuts and everything and i don't know once again it's making america look good we have the best looking military as well as the toughest you know smartest military as well so maybe it was just another go america moment as well. Yeah, I, I and I never picked up on any of that until you had mentioned it last week. I never even thought of any of that stuff. But again, that doesn't mean anything. I usually don't think about stuff like that. Um, <laughs> this and, is why we have a good we're good on this, okay? Because you look at it, movies from a different way, okay? And so maybe I'll get you to think, oh, that's a little different, and that's good, yeah, okay? Yeah. I, so yeah, like I said, I never thought about that. I always and I always thought that scene was in there for the women. Um, I know this movie isn't geared toward women, but it's not. I don't think it's geared toward anyone specific. I think it's just a movie for people that. Oh, I think it's definitely geared towards people. I think it's this movie was geared towards young men. I think, but then I also think they threw women a bone with by you throw in a romance in there. Yeah, and as as we we could talk about the romance later and the romantic scenes, which I found fault with, but uh, you know they definitely that felt arbitrary maybe that's because the actors had zero chemistry and maybe if it was an actress that i mean tom cruise has had some great you know moments he's been in some great jerry Maguire. he's had great romantic movies um but this is clearly not one of them Uh, so even days of thunder i mean he ended up having a real life romance with nicole kidman and they got married and everything so but there was just clearly you know there's just this is a romance, and I don't know how much of that was just to appease women, but this scene may have been to appease women. The second reason is to, hey guys, you'll all look great. You may never look this good for the rest of your lives. Let's have it up there for forever for everyone to see. Mm-hmm. And the third reason is we're America. We're the best, and we're going to show how we're the best right with your bodies. Okay, so yeah, they may yeah, have yeah. done that. Like the way Stallone did in Rocky Four. Okay, right. no one looked as good as Stallone did in Rocky Four. Okay, no. so, I mean it was clearly yeah, you know, <laughs> other than maybe Dolph Lundgren, but we saw what happened to Ivan Drago in that movie. So. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I and then this, the clip you were talking about before. There's a Quentin Tarantino clip which I I never even heard of either until I was researching this movie, and it was actually on the the Wikipedia page. It mentioned that <laughs> Quentin Tarantino has a uh, an outlook on this movie. Um, that basically, and I, I think the movie it was from is called Sleep With Me. Um, I never saw the movie, but I did. I looked clip. up the movie after you sent it to me. It has Eric Stoltz and I, Craig Sheffer, and I forget who the woman is. Uh, but it seems like it's like a romantic comedy mm-hmm. drama or something. And Tarantino just has a small acting role in it. Yeah. He has nothing. He didn't write or produce it or have anything to do with it. Other and it was 1994, so it was right after Pulp Fiction when Quentin Tarantino. If you remember, mid 90s. Tarantino was in a lot of places, from *Dust Till Dawn, Destiny Turns yep. on the Radio. He was in demand as, you know, just to be in things at that time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was in, the, he had a small scene where he basically says that the whole movie of Top Gun is a man, is, is Tom Cruise's character's struggle with sexuality. I don't see it like that, and I don't think he's right. I mean, you could, there's a million fan theories for a million movies that you could yeah. say, oh, this movie's actually about this. It's Correct. Really, blah, blah, Correct, blah. Yeah. I mean, if that, guess what? If, they, if he feels that way, that's fine. Or, or if And it's interesting to think it, about. Yeah. It's it is. interesting, like like the 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 Shining being about uh, being about the Native American plight in U.S. history. Mm-hmm. It, I don't know how much of that is there, but it's interesting to think about. Um, right, the, exactly. the, 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 the and so it adds a level, an extra depth to this movie that 
I'm not sure how intentional it is, but, but Tarantino does that. Think of I'm thinking of scenes from his movies where he talks about Madonna's song Like a Virgin and what that's a metaphor when he talks in Reservoir Dogs, when he talks about yeah. Kill Bill Volume 2. I never thought about Superman that way and how Superman is so different than every other comic book hero mm -hmm. ever. I just, you know, I, I don't think about Superman and comic book heroes, I guess, but it was just like, wow, that's brilliant. What a, you know, it seems so obvious. Or King Kong in Inglorious Bastards. I never thought about the racial implications. And now it's after, you know, Tarantino shed light on that in Inglorious Bastards, it seems so obvious. So he does that. That's the way Tarantino is, and he writes that into his own movies. And it's an interesting theory to think about. I don't know how much credence and validity there is, but he's not wrong. It's there, okay? Yeah, and if right. you want to interpret it that way, you can. If you want to interpret The Shining as a story about Native Americans and how the U.S. treated them horribly, okay. It's also a horror movie, too, but it could be both. Right, and and what he's saying isn't, you know, he, he's talking about the movie, and, he, and yeah. what he says is there, although he did change. I noticed in that scene he changed the last line of the film. He says, uh, uh, Iceman says, you can ride my tail anytime you want, and Maverick says, no, you can ride mine. But he, and actually, he says, you can be my wingman anytime you want. Ah, okay, yeah. So yeah, he does change that line to make it more homosexual than it yeah. should be. And um, I, so in that in that piece, he is wrong because, you know, that's yeah, he not, changed that the line to, to, you know, cater to his, cater and maybe that's his, why, yeah. maybe that's why it was just in this movie that no one ever heard of and not in one of his own movies. <laughs> so that's actually um, a possibility to me. The only scene that screams homo eroticism would be the volleyball scene. And if you take that out, I um, don't think anyone would. I guess it's still there, but I, it's I still there have in terms of, yeah. you know, the bromances and, um, I mean, there's a scene where, where Tom, again, Tom Cruise is just in tidy whities you know, staring at a mirror. But he um, was in Risky Business, too. He was, I mean... That's uh, true. Oh, right. He's, and, and, he's and, been and, that way in a lot of movies. There's a scene where he's in his underwear in Magnolia. I mean, he's... he's no, I, the guy I, loves I mean, his I'm, body. I'm not, he loves, I'm, you know, he's in good shape for, you know, like, however old he is. Yeah. Like I said, I've never thought that until... You mentioned something, and then I've I've read other things online. Um, okay. So then I started lo lo noticing it, but um, again, I thought that again, I thought that scene was just for the ladies. You know, oh, there's Tom yeah. Cruise and tidy whities with his, you know, showing off his butt. Um, yeah. You know, and that's that's what I think it is, and I don't and, I don't see it that way. I don't see okay. this movie the way Quentin Tarantino sees it at all. Yeah. Um, but again, you can like you said, you can make that claim about a lot of different movies and yeah. a lot of different ways, and it is what it is. And Tarantino probably either way either. No, okay, uh, yeah. well, it doesn't. It's, it hasn't changed you, okay? It doesn't, you know. Um, uh, but not at all. One thing uh, Tarantino does. Uh, what was I going to say? I'm not sure what he feels about this movie, but I know he is a huge fan of Tony Scott. And that's probably okay. because Tony Scott directed his script for True Romance. Okay. And they, he, he loved Tony Scott's films mm -hmm. for the most part. I don't know specifically which, you know, what well, he, he thought of Top Gun. I never heard him, you know, other than this thing that you talked about. But I know he loved Tony Scott and his films a lot. And he loves films in general. So I'm sure he likes this movie. I mean, I, I would imagine. It's, or, or, you know, parts of this movie anyway. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So, anyway, the beach volleyball scene, like we said, was came out of nowhere. So then, then he goes to Kelly McGillis's house, and you know they have a conversation, and 
it, the, that whole scene was weird to me too. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Uh, that, that's when "Take My Breath Away" comes on for the first time. So basically, when there's action in this movie and they're in a plane, "Danger Zone" is playing. You got it. They and play that when, song three times in the movie, if I'm not mistaken. "Danger Zone." And it maybe feels more. like they play. Yeah. It feels like they play it for its entirety. However, three, four minutes, however long that song is, I feel like you get that song. You could you could cut that part out of the movie, and you've got your music video right there. Right, and then and then take my breath away is played every time he's with Charlie. Uh, Correct, at least so, at least yeah. two three or three or times, times as yeah. well, because they do play some oldies songs when they're together. But those well, are both they, in the restaurant. Those are both in the bar. So yeah. Well, no, they 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 play sitting on the dock of the bay in this. Scene, yes, sitting on the dock of bay. You've it. lost that love and feeling twice. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, um, when they first meet, and then at the end. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, I'll I'll just say the the dialogue here. This is where we're talking about the script, and I maybe never noticed how bad the script was until I watched it this time around. Really, as a critic, okay? I agree. Yeah, and the dialogue in some of the slower scenes is pretty forgettable slash pretty bad. The performances and the visuals are what sell this movie. Oh yeah, this movie Top Gun could have been a silent movie. And you just kept the score, which I think is excellent, and the songs, which we've mentioned we think are very good, and it might have worked just as well. You could at the very least not miss a thing regarding the plot. If you didn't have subtitles on and you and they're just mouthing words, you would know everything that's going on. Because I think the actor's facial expressions tells you how they feel every step of the way. Mm-hmm. And I agree. I mean, when they're in the planes, it's great. The movie is, you know... You're glued to the screen on the yeah. edge of your seat. When they're not in the planes, you want to find anything and everything <laughs> yep. to get your mind off of that movie. <laughs> I never realized. Yeah, the, but the, and also once again, and I didn't realize this. I, I uh, the 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 ADR, okay, the dub. They did a lot of the dialogue in the flying scenes because their their mouths are covered, so you could have the actors say anything in those scenes. And they right. did that all in post production. They weren't yeah. actually talking, you know, or saying a line, sticking to the script exactly as it was. It's like they didn't even have a script. They had an idea. It's based on an article that Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer read, and they wanted to get mm-hmm. it made. And they hired screenwriters, and they, you know, eventually they got it all made. But it was just their idea based on an article about the Top Gun school that they read about. And then they threw in the arbitrary romance. They threw in the rival, the Iceman character, and boom, you've got a movie and propaganda yep. in at the, <laughs> in one fail swoop. Because mm-hmm. I felt myself getting so bored during the conversations between Cruz and McGillis. I so agree. this movie pretty much plays the same way as when. I saw it when I watched it as a kid on VHS. This may be my most nostalgic trip so far out of all of these movies that I see. Because when I was seven years old, I didn't care. Oh, yeah, take my breath away. Okay, it's a nice song. I didn't care to see Tom Cruise kissing her in the dark. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get to the action. I wanted to get to all that. And uh, and, and I felt that way for a different reason. You know, because when you're seven years old, you don't want to watch kissing. You want to watch action. Right. Now I'm older and I don't want to watch it because it's legitimately bad. And the other scenes are so good. I mean... that. This movie still has, in my opinion, the best aerial shots of all time. The Mm. best footage of fighter jets and area assaults that I've ever seen in a movie. So that alone should count for something. And so for me, Top Gun still holds up as a riveting action movie with some Mm -hmm. great action sequences. So, Um, Yeah, I mean, you're right, and, and I agree. I mean... They and I heard they had to re, uh, add a couple. Sh- there was a couple reshoots. 
Um, Can we talk about the scene in the elevator that which Tarantino well, that mentions more, in the clip that you talked about? So well, yeah. he mentions it as her looking like a man in that scene, but in reality, she it, what's the you know the real reason why she had to have that hat on? She, she was already she had already colored her hair for another movie. Both and, of them, yeah. And Tom Cruise had to have his hair wet, so that arbitrary. I've got to go take a shower. Like I was, I was thinking, why did he say that? And then the next scene is that, and I'm like, oh, and his hair's all wet because he was filming the color of money with Scorsese, and, right? and his hair was longer, so they just yeah. got it wet, so it's down flat and you can't tell that it's longer um but what you could tell remember the fight on the street before they have their you know yeah. love making scene you could tell that they're not in the same place you could tell when it's a standard first of all kelly mcgillis is allegedly almost a foot taller than tom cruise yeah they have okay short yeah so they, throughout the movie and you could down. tell the body doubles you could tell mm-hmm. the body doubles when they're kissing in the dark scenes um and, and oh, the darkly God, lit intimate so scene bad. If it were if it were not for the songs being so good, I don't know if Top Gun as a whole film would hold up so well because those scenes without the music are kind of unbearable. I mean, I, there was so much tongue in the love scene with the shadows that I wanted to throw up. It was it, it, they're not well shot, and he's shot. Tony Scott has made other you know better true true romance, for example. I mean, I, I don't love that movie like I'm supposed to, like Tarantino mm-hmm. fans are supposed to, uh, but. It's certainly a better romance than this. <laughs> the yeah. romantic scenes are not the problem with that movie. So yeah, um, that's uh, I don't know. It's just you could tell they had no chemistry. They should have. But she was a big star at the time. He was a big star. So they thought the pairing would be, and it, it obviously it did work. It you know made it the highest grossing movie of nineteen eighty six. No one walked out saying, you know, I didn't really like their chemistry. Everyone walked out went, yeah, USA. You know, that's what mm-hmm. they did. So that was that was the intention of Top Gun. And so for that, it's... Yeah, the, the love story is just kind of shoehorned no. in there. The, right? Even so. Tom Cruise, who was trying to make great movies at that time, working with Scorsese, working with Francis Ford Coppola, working with Oliver Stone, he didn't sign on for Top Gun to win an Oscar. Okay, born on the Fourth of July, he signed up to win an Oscar, and he almost did. Uh, this right. he was he was signed up because he wanted to make a good movie, and because he was an adrenaline junkie. They said they convinced him when mm-hmm. they took him up in a plane. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. So then you get uh, you know you get the scene where you get to see uh, Goose and with his family, and he's singing "Great Balls of Fire," and um, you know, and then right after that is basically, well, they had, they had that line, you know, I feel the need, the need for yeah. speed, which I still um, like it. I still think I that's like it's it. silly, but it's a good scene. Yeah. I and the like scene it. before that with Tom Cruise, uh, with, uh, Goose's family, I still think is a good scene. Yeah. So. It was that, all that was fine. Um, yeah. then that's when, you know, Goose dies because they get caught up in, um, in Iceman's jet wash, which I guess mm-hmm. is the, the force coming from his, his engines um mm-hmm. and that causes them their engines to go out and then they they're in a spin they lose control they eject but goose hits the canopy um and um i guess and i guess that kills him because of the force yeah. he hits it with um you know he tom cruise goes over to him after they parachute down and land in the water and they um you know he's clearly he's obviously injured or, or dead. You know, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it, it's still a sad scene, not as much as when I was little, um, but I still felt you know bad during that scene. What about I you agree? I time? yeah, I agree a hundred percent with you. Goose's death is still kind of upsetting, not nearly as surprising. I mean, the first time I saw, it, I was like, "What? They can't do that? What?" You know, and heart wrenching as when I was a kid. Uh, also, when I was a kid, I did not see it coming, and now it seems. Once again, screenplay-wise, 
arbitrary and obvious. The script needed an emotional jolt. There was right. nothing happening that we cared about. Okay, some kissing scenes. Some, you know, we needed a boom to like, whoa, make us go, make the audience, you know, sit up straight in our seats. We're kind right. of getting comfortable. We're kind of slouching at this point. And, and we needed an emotional jolt from nothing but looking at attractive people and looking at cool things that go fast. The motorcycle. Right. I forgot how much motor Tom Cruise on the motorcycle is so prevalent in this movie. Um, and, and, and the planes going by really fast. This gave us something else, okay, mm -hmm. to look at and something to actually care about and be invested in. So. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, then he's found not guilty, or not at fault. I shouldn't say not right. guilty. No, he was found not at fault. Um, uh, it, what I thought was well, we'll talk about it later. Uh, he, so he's found not at fault, and then Maverick he quits because he you know he he's afraid to engage now, and you know the other pilots are yelling at him, and um, but he, he he ends up quitting, and he he goes you know he gets into a fight with um, uh, with Kelly McGillis, and then they're on the outs, um, and then he goes and visits Tom Skerritt's house, and that's when he learns the truth about his father, and the whole father subplot thing I thought was weak. Um, I agree. And the it seemed arbitrary once again. The screenplay yeah. is the biggest problem with this movie. Okay? Everything else is an A or a B. The screenplay is a D or an F. Well, the, they set it up like, ooh, his father, you know, he doesn't know what happened to his father. But there's yeah. a mystery. And then you find out Tom Skerritt's character knows what happened, and it was nothing crazy <laughs> no, at all. It was, was nothing. Yeah. It's not Luke, I am your father. It, no, was, yeah, uh, yeah. it, was, it was nothing bad at all. And no. You, you find out, and he was, the reason it was kept secret was because it was across enemy lines, and there was something like that. So, military. Yeah, it, it really left. It's, it's a, I don't, and you know what? I don't think I actually ever remember that from all I don't the other times I saw all. it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's such a throwaway. What should be an, oh my God, it's such a, uh, okay, who cares? It yeah, really, you know, it didn't matter. Not, the dialogue the, in this movie does not matter. And that's supposed to be the driving force behind him and why he is the way he yeah. is. Because he's trying to prove to his, you know, to his father that he never even met. Um, basically, that he, you know, basically has daddy issues. And, yeah. But it's such a small piece of the plot. And it's I just agree. Like I agree. Off and it, it never goes back to it. It's just which bizarre. And just never is probably why, it. which is probably why I appreciated this movie and enjoyed it so much as a kid. I don't remember any of that. The dialogue was just so inconsequential to the action, to the, the visuals told the story. And they could have just been reading from the phone book in some of those scenes, and I still might have liked it. You know, I still <laughs> might have just been, you know, hey, this is good, okay, yeah, blah, 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 okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as a kid, when you see movies, especially like this, it's like, yeah. right, you, you know, there's got to be the boring parts, and that's when, you know, you go get a snack. <laughs> Correct, you, yeah, that you know, was the got, kissing parts, yeah, yeah for you, me when I was a little kid, yeah. Exactly, you have a toy or something you're playing with until, all right, oh, the action's back on. Okay, um, yeah, all right, put down the Ghostbusters toys and let's pay attention, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so. um, then, you know, then he, he, he goes to see Kelly McGillis, and there's a for rent sign on her house, meaning she moved out um, mm -hmm. because she had taken a job in Washington or something. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't usually notice continuity things like this, and I noticed the one in here, and to me it was so obvious, too. So it, for, for me to notice it, it had to be obvious. You've noticed more of those with uh, the movies than I have. So I uh, guess. Well, in this yeah. one... So the first scene they have at Kelly McGillis' house where he says he has to take a shower and leaves. Which was horrible, but yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, he gets on his motorcycle, and the for rent sign is in front of her house then. 
I did not know. And I that. saw it, and I'm like, why okay. is that there? I was like, that's weird. That's bad. And, that's and really then, bad. <laughs> yeah, then at the end, they show it again, and it, I mean, obviously it makes sense there, because she had moved out at that point. And I'm like, wait a minute, I know I saw it before. So I even looked it up online, and it is in there. It's, it's like, a continuity error. Yeah. Moved out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so you're saying she moved out, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, Fletch so reference like, for those that don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I thought I was like, what the? Like, so they basically just used a scene from a shot of him riding away then and inserted it earlier in the film. Well, and, yeah. yeah, but I mean, maybe that's why it didn't win the Oscar for best editing. <laughs> Although I'm glad it was nominated. I'm glad yeah. it was nominated. I'll say that. And I'll just say this from from this point. What we're talking about this this second act, I guess, between Goose's death and the climactic battle. You know, the movie really slows down for a while after Goose dies. And the biggest transition comes from Tom Cruise. I think he makes such a dramatic shift from permanently smirking and smiling to scowling through every scene. And I don't think that's his fault. I'm sure he was directed that way. This is a simple movie. Once right. again, you could figure out everything without any dialogue and but tom cruise his character goes from such a dramatic shift like you well know, he's devastated move. i mean he lost yeah, and he shows it and, yeah and yeah. he sh- it shows yeah yeah and and he probably feels some blame for it even though it wasn't Correct. anyone's fault really Correct, although yeah. um so what i was gonna say before and i didn't um but since we're getting up to that scene now um so iceman wins the mm-hmm. top gun and and then maverick shows up at the graduation and he's you know, he's not quitting and he's there he graduates and mm-hmm. um then immediately it's like hey uh, we need you guys to be go back to the aircraft carrier that's in the indian ocean um again indian ocean getting a lot of love in this movie um <laughs> the most underrated of all ocean well maybe is, Arct- arctic ocean. ocean arctic ocean might be uh, slightly uh, underrated but i guess yeah, nothing but- goes on up there people live in and around the indian ocean Right, the Arctic Ocean yeah. is just there. I mean, you go there yeah. for like a whole glass of water, I guess. There's more penguins up there than there are people. Indian Ocean, people, you know, live and surf and, you know, yeah. vacation at the but, Indian But Ocean. you never hear about it. It's all no. Atlantic and Pacific. Atlantic and Pacific, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but anyway. that's, maybe that's our North American Eurocentric uh, right, values yeah. showing. <laughs> so. Um, so, yeah, so Ice, so Iceman, so they, they go back to the aircraft carrier, and then, you know, right away Iceman has to go up. Iceman and another plane um, have to go up and and because there's like two or four MIGs in the area, it ends up being six MIGs altogether, um, mm-hmm. and they're told you know this is serious. If they engage, you fire back. And um, so right from the start, these MIGs are on the hunt. I mean, they shoot down a plane almost instantly. Um, mm-hmm. But of course, it's a nice, perfectly placed shot that the plane crashes, but both pilots make it out alive, so no one dies. Um, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, with all the MIGs, did you notice that all of the MIGs get destroyed completely? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, they completely, yeah, I mean, yeah, so the, great the special enemy, effects, but yeah. Well, the enemies can get completely destroyed, but the U.S. gets hit and everyone... Well, our planes are better. Duh. Our planes are better. <laughs> our planes are so, built so much... You can't trust communist Soviet planes. Come on, they're cheap. That's true. They cut corners. Um, <laughs> they cut corners. We Yes. <laughs> yeah. We, we learned that from Chernobyl. From Chick. Um, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway... Um, so, um, so Iceman is up there in the, in the sky still, and they have to send up Maverick, um, even though Iceman doesn't think that's a great idea, um, but they send up Maverick after the other plane gets shot down, and, and he comes to save the day, um, 
I, I, you know, for as good of a pilot as Iceman at least claims to be, anytime you actually see him in the air, he's not very good. Um, That's a good point. That is a good point. Yeah. (laughs) He he can't, he couldn't shoot down the fake MIG in the training exercise that was right in front of him. And then that accident, then him flying away, you know, forced Goose's death. Um, so he was horrible there. And then in this, he was horrible too. He was, he was a second away from getting just completely yep. blown away. And Good point that I did not realize how useless he actually was as a pilot. Uh, he's useless right. as a foiled and a villain somewhat to numbers. I, I do want to touch on two things that you said here, or at least the two, last two scenes you discussed. I also remember being, or I really remember as a kid, being shocked. It was not a conventional happy ending with Iceman winning Top Gun and not Maverick. That blew my mind as a kid. That Tom Cruise isn't getting the trophy. He isn't the winner. Okay, and such. So that to me just... Once again, I saw this obviously at a very young age. And I was like, Ooh, they can do that in movies? What? Are you kidding me? Really? Okay, so that for me was mind-blowing. Maybe not as much now. because Obviously, the surprise factor isn't there. But when I first saw it, I was like, whoa, what a great movie. I never thought you could do that. That's just breaking all the rules. And then the other one was the climactic air battle is still pretty impressive. I, oh, yeah, the, I the... really liked how it ended. And it's reminding audiences that this is real. So they did all the training. They did all that. And now they have to work together. And the American pilots have to unite. And can unite because we're the best. USA, USA, USA. And it just, that's what it ends with, but it works. It, it's such a good scene that this, this movie, I mean, it's well, silly, but so visually astonishing and so much fun. Everything that they do in from the last, from, you know, Iceman winning the trophy from the moment that you see Val Kilmer holding the Top Gun trophy till, you know, the final battle. It's really, that, those are some of the best moments in the movie, I think. Yeah, I agree, and I I didn't remember who won the trophy. I I honestly I in my memories of the movie was that they never announced a winner because they got oh, called wow. to the yeah they got called to the aircraft carrier. So I don't even remember who won. Okay, so um, we have a very different because I even let's say yeah. I only saw this movie once when I was seven or t- ten years. Let's say the last time I saw it I was ten, and I never saw it again. I would still remember Val Kilmer winning the Top Gun trophy and holding it and being like. <gasps> How can they do that? You know, so yeah. that that definitely, you know, stuck stuck with me all these years, no matter yeah. what. So, um, yeah. yeah, but it's, you know, it's true. Like, it is a little bit of a shocker that, you know, he doesn't win. Um, and then the end scenes, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're shooting missile. I mean, the missile launches at, mm-hmm. at the, and, and the, you know, the planes blowing up and all that. Like, it was, it was really well shot it was a great scene i mean and there's a callback to the air brakes where he gets the mig to fly right by him and basically i mean iceman doesn't do anything basically maverick comes in and but this time he plays by the rules he does what he's supposed (laughs) to do he stays on the guy's wing when he needs to and he does you know what he has to do to you know to be successful and follows the rules and it turns out that you know, he basically learned his lesson after Goose died that he needs to, you know, be a better pilot and, you know, be a safer pilot. And, you know, it's not just his life on the line. And, um, you know, and that, I guess, the moral of the story is. And, you know, he that's how you are successful when you play by the rules. <clears throat> and, um, you know, they end up, you know, killing at least four, I think, four of the Megs. And then the last two just fly off. Um and, you know, they, they go back and land on the aircraft carrier 
um, after another stupid flyby scene where it calls. Yeah, another guy. one with the co- the coffee. Yeah. Well, who, these who guys should know guy? better. <laughs> I know. He goes everywhere know. Maverick goes. I mean, what is he? The tower, Maverick's tower guy. Like, <laughs> he likes his Top coffee. Gun. Yeah, he's at. Top he likes gun. his coffee. Yeah. Hasn't learned. Yeah, he likes his coffee on his shirt. <laughs> As planes are landing. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> whatever. Um, that, that that's not one of the. St- it's it's whatever. It's they. No, they I, I guess I, they want to throw I'm in a happy saying. moment. Yeah, it's, I'm yeah. teasing. Um, exactly. But then, um, you know, they land and they're you know that's how they have that exchange. Like you can be my, be my wingman anytime, and then Maverick says, "No, you could be mine." And yeah, memorable know, lines. Then, memorable. Then, yeah. Yeah, they hug each other, and you know, Correct. it's all yeah. all good, and everyone's happy. And then I don't remember anymore. That's the last scene of the movie I remember. So then I, you know, in the beginning of this podcast, which was whew, an hour and 52 minutes ago, um, mm. I had said that I didn't remember the last scene. I don't remember the scene of him going back to Top Gun and then sitting in a bar and then that the song plays on the jukebox. I don't remember that scene at all. Because I, no. I thought, I was like, oh, are they just going to end this movie without going back to the love affair? It's a pretty forgettable scene. It because is. I guess the whole romance between Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis is forgettable. forgettable. <laughs> and that scene did feel shoehorned in and phony. I remember, I always remember the finger going, putting the coin into the jukebox. Yeah. And they start playing You've Lost That Loving Feeling. And then the credits where they show everyone's face. I always do remember that. But it was just sort of such, it's like a, a epilogue. Okay, mm-hmm. it's like the, the section of the book where, okay, the story's over and there's an epilogue and, you know, or a denouement and, and that's it. So yep. um, I sort of looked at it as it's past the resolution. It's just the extra stuff. That, well, it's, uh, yeah, well, like, well, we have yeah. to, this movie is a, has a happy ending. So the we got to wrap it up happy. with a bow. That's the yeah. bow. Okay, yeah. that, that, that scene is the bow. And it, it didn't need, like, gifts don't need a bow on the package. But whatever, people put them there. This movie didn't need a bow, but they felt they needed to put it in there. And, Whatever. I could have done without it, but I guess if you cared about the romance, you needed to. I I would like to say I do think the film, because I'm talking about the scene before it, the film ends strong with him overcoming his fear and his distress after Goose's death. And like you said, his character arc really comes full circle where he follows the rules. And I have to give credit, not so much to the director or the editor or the writers, to Tom Cruise. He makes it work. He makes mm-hmm. the scene emotional and believable. And this is this here is the example of why he is such a talented actor. He can sell what could have been something inept and mundane with his intensity. You care about those scenes. You're invested. And once again, th- th- that and all the aerial shots and the editing... They work, but he adds that human element, so that's why you're more than just, ooh, look at these planes flying around and looking cool as they go so fast across the screen. And this is why I think his Mission Impossible movies are better than most of the Transformer movies, okay? He adds that human element because he's such a good, emotional, intense actor, and he brings mm-hmm. that to all of his performances, even though his the lately his movies are look at me, I'm Tom Cruise, I'm the best, I'm the hero. He's good at that. He can do more. He has done more, but that's what he's been doing, and it it shows here. And he does a good job, and he helps sell this movie on a human level more than anyone else. Um, all right, so this movie was fifty six percent. So it was rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. That's the critic score, fifty six percent. Um, audience score eighty three percent. So the audience was really loved this movie. I mean, that's that's a fresh movie for the audience, but yeah. the critics fifty six percent. Jay, how many stars would you give this movie? Three, three to three and a half. 
Okay. Because I mean, here's here and here's why. Once again, can you think of a movie that has better aerial cinematography, plane, you know, flying shots than this? Because no, I can't. Not, not off the top of my head, no. Okay. I mean, there have been uh, the Scorsese's The Aviator had some of that when he was filming, you know, the the whatever yeah. the, the the movie. Uh, but I really can't think of something that's you know based on you know military air force. I can't think of a movie that has that was kind another of movie riveting, that, thrilling cinematography. There's another movie that came out the same year as this. And it had similar imagery and was about pilots. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can I guess? About? Can yes. I guess? Is it, uh, is it Iron Eagle? It is Iron Eagle. I never saw Iron Eagle. But once again, Studio Spies. Okay, you have two volcano yeah, yeah. movies in the same yep. year, two asteroid movies in the same year. Someone probably found out that they're making an Air Force movie, so the other studio wanted to make their own Air Force movie. I don't know which right. one came much first. Much less successful but, and yeah, much, okay. much less popular. But it had sequels. It had, you know... Like three or four. Yeah. Um, Correct. Yeah, I've never. I, Louis Gossett Jr. I know is in it, but that's he was all in I know. it. Yeah, my my yeah. one of my brothers I remember liking Iron Eagle, or at least watching it a lot because I remember him saying like, he, he, I, I remember him watching Iron Eagle. I don't know how much G- he liked Johnny it. Lawrence from Cobra Kai. If you watch Cobra Kai on Netflix, loves Iron Eagle. Oh, really? <laughs> so much so that he names his dojo Eagle Fang Karate. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, that's funny. Um, it's very funny. <laughs> all right, so all right, so verdicts. Is this movie a real big mistake, Jay? Absolutely not. I think this is a very I think this is the best movie of its kind. I'm not saying it's the best movie of Tom Cruise's career or uh Tony Scott's career or even Kelly McGillis's career, but I will say that this movie is the best Air Force movie, aerial cinematography, action thrilling movie. It's silly. The screenplay is pretty bad and i do think i you could watch this movie on mute i could have watched this movie at five years old and not understood anything that they were saying and still understood everything that was happening i could have understood the plot perfectly i think and the music is good and the music and the images are what drives the film so for me it worked it's a good fun summer blockbuster movie which is what it was intended to be sure it might be republican right-wing nationalist jingoistic uh propaganda but if it is then it's one of the best it joins casablanca as one of the best propaganda movies of all time (laughs) um all right so i am like you i do not think this movie is a real big mistake i this movie uh, how, how can you not like this movie? I mean, yes, it has faults. It's not a hundred percent movie. Um, no. I, you know, but it's 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 a it's a it's an American classic. Yes, um, it it made Tom Cruise who he is today. Um, it 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 it. I mean, the cultural impact of this movie is is ginormous. Right? Cannot be denied. How, yes, how it's not Star you, Wars, but it's up there. Okay, it's it's a it, big deal, yeah. and it's enjoyable. It's it has its faults, but there yeah. the the pros outweigh the cons. Absolutely, um, I I enjoyed it last night. I mean, part of it was the nostalgia piece, and the other part mm-hmm. of it is that it's just you know the scenes in the in the air and the planes, and they're they're amazing. And, and when it and works, story, it works. Yeah, the story as a whole is good enough to get you. Get, get you to enjoy this movie. I agree. Um, I mean, think about other summer me. blockbusters. Yeah, think about other summer blockbusters. Did you like Independence Day because of the script? No. 
Bill Pullman gives one good speech. That's all I can say that's good about the screenplay for that movie. Uh, and that that's more, I think, a, a testament to maybe the actor than the screenplay. Right. So I mean, so when you think of not not every summer blockbuster can be Spielberg, okay? Not every summer blockbuster can be you know, Star Wars, but this had enough going for it that yeah it's it's just a fun movie you don't have to shut your brain all the way off just halfway off and you can have a great time yeah and like i said the story itself is enough to get you through the movie and the screenplay is weak and uh the 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 love scenes are are to me are the low point of the movie yes and yes and and uh the the romance is feels contrived and i don't think that um, they had any chemistry. I'm sure people think they do, um, but I do. Well, it think shows. They did. I think it shows that they don't have much chemistry. I, I, I agree. I, and I don't think I ever really noticed until watching it this time how contrived and how unnecessary and forced those scenes were. Because I think when I was younger and I was watching it, I was just like, eh, it's not as interesting. Let's get to the fighting, you know. And and I agree. yeah, but I, now I I'm like, more I, this time. yeah, this time I felt like a seven year old kid, but I can back up why I just wanted to see the aerial shots and the fighting and not the you know romance boring stuff yeah yeah not Um, not the boring stuff yeah (laughs) yeah i mean great great piece of of american cinema can't Mm -hmm. be denied Uh, how can you not like this movie i mean you might not love this movie but i I think you have to like it it's just i agree it's just great and Um, yeah it, 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 I mean, Tom Cruise. I mean, this the images of Tom. You Google Tom Cruise to the iconic. Day, yeah, and these are the first ones that come up. Yeah, in his flight suit with his bomber jacket and his given the thumbs up or with the aviator glasses. on. I was gonna on, say yeah. with the aviator glasses on. I, I read somewhere that bomber jacket sales increased and Ray Ban yep. aviator sales. Yes, they did. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're. I read that too. Yep. So, <laughs> so yeah, this was I mean, a big deal, and it launched him to so much better movies. I don't think when Tom Cruise, when all is said and done on his career, okay, and he retires or he passes away i don't think anyone's gonna say top gun was his best movie but it certainly launched him to bigger and better it's prominent roles it's his most important movie the, for his career mo- for him it's yes. not his best movie but you could argue is his most no. important movie i agree with that yes it it's his most, his most important, important movie. movie and this movie made him yeah. it got him to do to be able to only have 51 credits and all of them be stellar or not all of or all of them until 2004 big budget stellar. above yeah. the title credit okay like i mean he's he's never other all every other almost every other actor over the last 30 to 40 years has had a lull where they've struggled or they're you know you could say they're has-beens now you can't say Tom Cruise is a has-been. I went through how i think he reinvented himself and reinvented his career into being the American Jackie Chan, whereas he used to be, you know, a perennial Oscar, you know, I mean, not Oscar nominee, but, you know, born on the 4th of July is a far mm-hmm. cry from Mission Impossible 5. Okay, but he's still good. He's still intense, and he's still, you know, trying really hard in both of them. He's just, you know, not challenging himself. I think a lot of it comes with the directors, okay? Yeah. He forced himself as a young 20-something, 30-year-old you know, guy working, trying to work with the best directors he possibly could. And now I, I couldn't tell you who directed the last few Mission Impossible movies or, you know, he's not working with the top directors like he used to. So well, I think that's a big Yeah, fact. now it's more about him, I think. Correct. Than, yes. Yeah. Look at me. I'm young, I'm hot, and I'm saving the day, and I'm cool, and, and I I'm look still great doing it. And, and I'm still relevant, and I still, yeah, he still, he looks, I mean, come on, you know, it's, it's yeah. So whatever. But uh, I, I do, I'm grateful for the 
20 years of amazing roles that he gave us throughout the 80s and 90s and early 2000s so mm-hmm. uh yeah he's, he's an important actor yeah very important actor and this you know risky business made him a star this made him the mega star yep. that he has been since yeah 1986 so yeah all right so that does it for top gun both of us agree it is not a real big mistake um critics are wrong it should not be rotten on rotten tomatoes um but you know, it is what it is, and, and, you know, we feel that it's not. So, um, all right, so that, anything else you have to add for this one? I, I We discussed everything I wrote down, so. And we discussed the same everything I wanted to say I said. So, yeah, we are, I'm, I'm done mentioning this. We can start our uh, signs off if you want, uh, you want me to go first. Um, well, I was going to announce next week's movie. Oh, you do have a movie for next week. Let's see what this is. I am in suspense. All right. Well, you're. Uh oh, I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, oh. I'm, I'm glad we're not together because you. Would am I going to want to punch you in the face? You might want to punch me in the face after this. Oh, but God. I think the discussion we have is going to be so much more than this movie. But this is the movie that we need to watch. And it's Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh God! Listen, oh. I saw it once. I saw it out of the theater, after, you know, and I and I enjoyed it. I'm not gonna say I loved it, but I enjoyed it. So I'm gonna go by that, and we'll see how viewing number two shows up. I was really it. hoping you were gonna say. I assumed slash was hoping. Does that have a rotten Rise of Skywalker? Does that rotten? Yeah, it's considered rotten. Yep. Yeah, 56% or something like that. And you, Rich Tola, as of April 3rd, 2021, is saying that it does not deserve a rotten rating. That's why we're doing it? That's what I'm saying, yes. Ah, I enjoyed it. Okay, okay, okay. When I left the theater, I enjoyed it. Fair enough. I don't think I'm going to have to do much convincing, because just from talking to you on these podcasts, I, I, I um, also, I do think the theater-going experience is a different experience, so I, yeah. I think you'll, and we'll you'll see feel how something it, different. We'll, we'll see how it holds up, and I think, I think, like I said, I think the discussion will get so much bigger than just that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's the one, probably, that has, well, other than maybe the prequels, but I, I didn't care for them enough to want to watch them again. Oh, I do like the prequels. I thought you were going to say Episode 1, Phantom Menace, because no. when I was looking on on uh on the star wars movies the only one that i saw that was rotten from what i recall maybe rise of skywalker is so off my radar i didn't even look at it um but the only one that was rotten was phantom menace and i know at the time that it came out in 1999 the reviews were stellar the reviews were good it was then afterwards and the after the internet you know stores became bigger and that sort of killed phantom menaces you know soured its reputation and made it the punchline that it has become mm-hmm. today uh so i thought you were going to pick phantom menace but all right so well we'll see We'll see. Yeah, how we out. will. Oh, I, I can't. Well, I, <laughs> I can't pick Phantom Menace because I, I just, it, I, I've seen it I, when I when I saw it in the theater. I remember liking it, and then I've mm-hmm. seen it many times since, and I'm just like, what was? What was I still thing? like it. Maybe that'll be one I'll have to pick. Oh, yeah, well, I that, still like it. Yeah, I don't love it, but it has three. We could talk about it next week because Phantom Menace to me has three scenes that I think are absolutely outstanding. All right. So well, yeah, yeah. Well, well, if yeah, maybe that'll be a movie you want. We'll to do pick so for day, all the so. Star Wars fans that want to, or we could just maybe cover Star Wars next week and uh, you know uh, uh, go with with uh, yeah. 
Rise of Skywalker. I, I think it's time we talk about Star Wars. Oh, you this you've you've wanted to do this for a while, haven't you? Yep. Okay. Well, at least it's a more recent movie. This is 2018 or 2019. Yeah, we're, we're yeah, this is 2019. So we're we're leaving the 80s and going uh almost up to present day. Oh yeah, this is this is going to be the most recent film that we've done. Yep. So okay, all right, okay, that's uh, okay. <sighs> all right. Oh, so all right. So wanna, we'll, we'll end with that. Off and then I'll sign all right. Off um, yeah. And well, thank you for listening. And you could check out all my podcasts and reviews on panandslam.com. Uh, you could follow me on uh, Facebook or on Twitter, uh, Jason K Critic. And uh, yeah. So and Rich, tell us where you could listen to our podcasts. Yeah, so our podcast um, can be found everywhere you can find podcasts. Um, you can also uh, find us on um, Instagram and Twitter. Well, it's more me, but it's it's the podcast. It's um, Real Big Mistakes, R-E-E-L, Big Mistakes. Um, it's at, at Real Big Mistakes on Twitter and on Instagram. So you can follow us there. Uh, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a uh, subscribe and a like. Um, or rate us five stars if you if you like us or give us some feedback and um yeah so that's it for this one um and i am rich tola thanks for hanging with us and i'm jason konigsberg live long prosper and watch movies all right bye